you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Sacred Symbols, the internet's most beloved PlayStation podcast. If you want to get our show three days earlier than free feeds and completely without ads, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. Your support on Patreon also allows you to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to our show, gives you the ability to vote on the Let's Plays we do, allows you access to exclusive podcasts, and more. You can also buy Sacred Symbols merch by going to tinyurl.com slash sacredshirts. I suspect you'd look damn sexy with our logo emblazoned across your chest, but that's just one man's opinion. Of course, we love our free feed listening audience, too. If you don't have the means or desire to show us support on Patreon or with merch, please consider leaving us a nice review on the podcast service of your choice and let friends and family know about Sacred Symbols. We, on the other hand, will keep making Tuesdays great again. But enough chatter. Have at you. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 50. 50. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by my handsome co-host, Chris Raygun. Chris, how are you today? Doing pretty good. It is the Sunday of E3. Basically, actually, technically the Sunday before E3 begins. Yeah. We earlier today recorded an, well, an Xbox <laughs> podcast. 
You know when you try to say an, A and then you say N? Yeah, you messed you it up. Of, yeah, and you try to catch yourself. Damn no, fool. It was no good. We recorded a special episode, a special edition of Sacred Symbols, all about Xbox and Xbox and Microsoft showing at E3. That's already been recorded. We recorded that earlier today. By the time you're hearing this, that's already live. So yeah. you can enjoy that. Okay? This episode is all about everyone else at E3. Now, as you guys know, Sony's not at E3. So we have to do a specific and kind of special type of episode where, Chris, I've compiled all of the agnostic news, right, that has nothing to do with the E3 presenters. Mm-hmm. We also watched the Bethesda press conference, so I've included those notes here in our initial wave of news. And I've broken down all the Microsoft news that is third party as well, okay? okay. That's all going to be presented in the news segment we get to in a little while. And then we're going to shut the show off, and then tomorrow we're going to record two more segments that will be about Ubisoft and about Square Enix. So I just want everyone to know at the top, the news is kind of out of order simply by the way it's been presented to us. Yeah. So usually we put it in some order of importance, but not today. So I just wanted to throw that out there. And then we'll talk about the game releases, which there are only five this week, and no reader mail, no listener mail this week. Except for if it's integrated into the questions, yeah. simply because I think this episode is going to be pretty long and... I don't know that I want Dustin to, like, you know, off himself trying to edit this. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a good call. Right. So, uh, Chris, for the uninitiated, Sacred Symbols, the PlayStation podcast, goes up once a week. You can support us over on Patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand, where you can get the show early and ad-free. You can also get the opportunities to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to our show, get exclusive podcasts, etc. If you listen to free feeds, please enjoy that as well. Chris, 50 episodes... How does it feel? Technically, it's not 50 episodes. Technically, I think it's 55 because we've done five yeah. special episodes. 50 weeks. Yeah, 50 weeks. I guess weeks. would be yeah. more accurate. Sure. How It's been a, a – well, what do you think? I feel like it's been pretty quick. I agree. It's kind of wild yeah. that it's almost already like, what, we got two more before it's a year? Yeah, it's two insane. more before it's a year. Yeah. What will our – you know, I know you were nervous when I pitched you the show and you were nervous at first and people were skeptical and yeah. all this <laughs> of our show and now you just see feedback – that we have great chemistry, that our show is really coming to its own, that it's very easily, I think, for most hardcore PlayStation fans that listen to it, the best PlayStation sh- show they listen to. Of course. So I'm quite happy with our product. Nah, me too. I think it's, it's pretty it's good. Gone, it's gone over pretty pretty smooth, Yeah, I think. Are you happy I asked you? Yes. I'm glad. It's, it's, it's an appropriate time to ask. It is an appropriate time to ask. And thank you for answering uh, honestly and candidly. We appreciate that. Roland Ocon wrote into us on Patreon, just like you guys can, and said, my main man, Colin, and super cool, Chris, just wanted to know what things you have in store for the next 50 episodes. Are we going to get cool little games like we do in Knockback, or are you going to do more in-depth discussions and or on the industry regarding PlayStation? Thanks for reading my first ever question. It gives me so it gives me much anxiety to write to you, but keep making Tuesdays great again. Well, I don't know why that was anxiety-inducing for you. There you are. I mean, I read you you're submitted an a question that I answered. You're an intimidating individual. I guess that's true. But what do we have in store? So what he's referring to is on Knockback, we play little games, Dagan and I, where we do like guessing games and all those kinds of things. That's a Knockback tradition. Mm-hmm. On Sacred Symbols, we have our own traditions, like being completely insane. Yeah. And talking and about drop. sacrificing babies. Yeah. Well, all sorts of things. Yeah. We got our own thing going. Now, I don't know what's in store. I'm sure we have special things in store for the next year, but... An onstage musical production of Sacred Symbols. Wouldn't that be fun? No. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> sounds horrendous, actually. That surprises me that you say no, because you are you actually became famous on the internet for writing uh, YouTube musicals. Yeah, they're parodies. They're parody musicals. That's true. But we do want to thank everyone for nearly a year of support. I mean, without you guys and gals out there, the show simply wouldn't be possible. Yeah. 
and you showed an incredible amount of uh, you know support for our product and for our podcast and we so we want to thank you for that and we sent some pretty cool postcards uh Dagan, my brother made some cool art for the 50th or 50th episode anniversary which we then signed and sent out to our biggest supporters on patreon so we appreciate you guys there but i don't know we do have one exciting thing planned for the next year not even actually that we'll discuss at some point hopefully well we definitely will and it's not going to be what you guys expect but there is something cool in the works sacred symbols related let's say yeah and we'll have more about this. Very about cool. That. Yeah, very cool indeed. Already talked about the Xbox episode, so that's already up. I'm just going through my notes. Chris, Crash Team Racing's Platinum Trophy is live. Yes. Now, we made a bet. Well, actually, I think you and someone made it a bet. It was just me and a random person whose name I can't quite remember. Right. He and I'll he, find it. He and you made a bet mm-hmm. that you wouldn't be able to earn the Crash Team Racing Platinum in its first week. or the, I, We really declared that it would be one week from when you got the game, since we're probably going to get the game early to right. make it all fair. Now, how do you feel? By the way, the bet was for a PlayStation 5. Yeah, I believe the bet was he bet me that I couldn't do it. And if I did do it, he would buy me a PlayStation 5. And I turned it around. I said, if I can't do it, I'll buy you a PlayStation right, 5. Right, because that, that was a, the bet. That seems a little excessive, right? We don't need you guys buying us anything. Yeah. How do sure. you feel about the, uh, the veracity of the bet now that you've seen the trophy list? I've I, heard from some people that it's actually quite hard, but I've heard from others that it's pretty straightforward. I, I think I could probably do it. I think uh, I wasn't anticipating all the Nitro Kart content. Being in it, I was expecting more of a one-to-one, you know, crash team racing game. Uh, So there is Nitro Kart achievements in there that are like, all right, well, whatever, I'll I'll, I'll figure it out. But it it seems manageable. I feel like I'm probably going to cut it close, but I think think I'll get it. Well, we'll have to monitor the situation in the coming weeks. Yes, we will. And see what happens. I'm wishing you, obviously. Hopefully we get it soon. The very best. Yeah, but even if you don't get it, even if you buy it day one, it doesn't matter because we're going to start the clock. I really want to start the clock. I'm going to look at your trophies. I'm going to start the clock from the minute you ping even a bronze trophy. We'll start the clock there. We'll have a timestamp, a specific right. timestamp. So if you get the platinum from seven days from that timestamp, as all far good. as I'm concerned, you win the game. Hell yeah. Now, Chris, I don't want to talk. Well, we can talk as deeply as, as you want about it, I guess. In a usual non-E3 week, we would have much to say about this actual topic. And so I guess we'll just explore it as we want. But Google really revealed their Stadia in a more robust way for the first time. Stadia, of course, is the upcoming streaming platform from Google. And we have a few letters about it. I'm kind of curious about your thoughts about this, Chris. So let's read some of these and see what you think. And then we'll get into the news, I promise. Matt wrote into us and said, Afternoon, gents. It is, oh, it's kind of early evening, actually. But he says, Colin, it's come to my attention that you and a lot of the internet seem to have a certain disdain for Google Stadia. I completely understand the product not being for you, but it seems to me like a lot of people are going beyond that to the point where they really want this thing to fail. So my question is, why? I assume it's partly due to the fact that people don't want this to be the future of gaming, but can you really blame a company for being forward thinking? You yourself always talk about how smart it was for Microsoft to include an Ethernet port in the original Xbox, despite Internet speeds at the time not being up to snuff. I know this isn't the same exact thing, but is it not somewhat similar? I agree that Google Stadia isn't exactly where I'd like to be or I'd like it to be right now. But like with electric cars, foldable phones or VR, I'm glad someone had the balls to give it a real shot. For me, I'm hoping this will lead to a future where game streaming is only is one day akin to Blu-ray versus Netflix, where discs are still available for those who want the most fidelity, but streaming is also totally viable. Keep up the great work. Thank you both for me, keeping me sane as med school board exams approach. Well, good luck to you, Matt. Now, I kind of feel like he answered his own question because yeah. he says something very, uh, I'll say here, quote, I'm hoping this will lead to a future where game streaming is one day akin to Blu-ray versus Netflix. Well, an end quote. 
Well, I would like for that to be the case too, but Stadia doesn't give you those options. Stadia gives you one option. Yeah, that's the problem is that I think with uh, with Microsoft who has who's in a pretty good position because they have a console install base and they're also working on this xCloud thing and Game Pass, I feel like they're probably primed for the best position in this kind of ecosystem, this kind of streaming uh, game ecosystem. I think the problem isn't necessarily that we want them to fail, although if they did succeed, if this if this if Stadia launches at the end of this year and it's a huge success, that's gonna up that's gonna upend the whole industry. That's gonna be like a huge deal. Um, I don't think it will. I don't think Google has the goodwill that is necessary to make people because and also it's a it's a subscription fee. We were talking about this earlier. Mm. It's a thing that you pay for. You pay for the subscription, but you still have to purchase the game on the service to get the license to stream it. So there's. I, I feel like they just haven't really th- either they haven't thought this through all the way or I just think they're too early like with like Microsoft was with tablets in like the 90s or even how Microsoft was with cloud stuff they started they were ta- touting the cloud at what in 2013 when they launched the Xbox yep. one so they've, they've been thinking about this for a while and I think that's probably smart to think about it but I just don't think we're there yet. I don't really understand well all right well I do kind of understand why they're doing like a controller only with like a you know, a thumb drive streaming because they don't want to get into the hardware game and it doesn't really necessarily benefit their model, their business model to have like another box and stuff. Although they do have their own pieces of hardware, but I'm really kind of mystified by if they really wanted to win, why wouldn't they just make a box? Like that's kind of my big piece of confusion because they're not making an Ouya style Android box. This box isn't, you know, state is not running Android or something like that. Well, no one would buy that box. But wouldn't it have a better opportunity to succeed if you gave people certain options? And if they're not going to buy that box, then what's the point of even getting involved in this at all? Yeah. That's kind of my major point. I, is if I you... think people are more likely to try out a subscription to something than they are to buy a piece, a dedicated piece of hardware. I think that's probably what they're thinking, especially because if they're going to build a box, you know, it's it's <laughs> most of those con- most most consoles are sold at a loss. So I'd imagine, and that's mainly because of the hardware components necessary to run things. So the fact that they would put out this kind of dinky little box that's basically a Chromecast that looks like a console just to kind of ease people in, I don't know if that would really go over all that well. I think they have a smart idea. I just think it's the pricing model is way off. It feels a little weird. It's it's for people who want to take their games on the go and stream them wherever they want, who can't afford a Switch but have great internet. And yeah. also wouldn't mind carrying around a bulky controller instead of a Switch. I don't know. It's it's weird, man. Right. Also, the fact that like PlayStation Now with PlayStation 4 and certainly PlayStation 5 and whatever Xbox is doing with xCloud, all of these things are going to be competitors and maybe even more viable and certainly have a better array of games and options on them, I assume. Yeah. So uh, it's not that I want Stadia to fail. In fact, I don't want any product to fail because I think the more that compete and the more that succeed, the better it is for all games and all gamers. And so I do see some of the mean-spiritedness out there that he is talking about. For sure, Certainly. There's always going to be that. But it's not that I think Stadia – or rather, it's not that I want Stadia to fail. It's that I think it's going to fail. And I – so I guess my major malfunction with Stadia, as it were, is simply that it doesn't give you both choices. And and it's simply, therefore, not viable. Because while it could be viable in a streaming-only space, it's 2019 – the United States is the biggest market for any gaming product. The United States infrastructure and the internet is terrible – Western Europe isn't that much better. Emerging markets are a no-go for this thing at all. So already you're already limiting your audience by not giving them the option. Now, I'm not a disc buyer, but not giving them the option to put a disc in. I guess what I'm saying is this, this is kind of a circular reasoning. 
you're making a great point that no one's going to go buy a Google console for $400. I agree. So don't go into gaming. Like, that's my whole thing is like, if you're not, I understand future, future proofing, but this is not future proofing because this is one option. The future proofing is making, is giving players as many options as possible. I almost feel like, I I almost feel like the best part of Google entering this kind of ecosystem is the fact that it's really just going to push the other people and the other players who have a far more realistic chance of doing this successfully into a place where they're willing to maybe go a little bit more all in on it than they might have previously. I think that's really it. it. This this amounts to me more little more than you know a competitive push. I really I'd be shocked if it succeeded. Yeah, I would be too. And again, it's a point well taken that yeah, Sony makes a bet with VR, Microsoft makes a bet with cloud. It's like yeah, but PlayStation isn't only VR. Yeah. Microsoft isn't only offering cloud gaming. That's that's my major holdup. And it's just too soon. So yeah, is it smart to future proof and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, but isn't that we talked about it in the past? There's that famous Google website that shows all the shit that they cancel and kill and, and Yeah, yeah. I assume this will be on the list. That, I mean, that's my assumption. Maybe I'm wrong. Google doesn't need to be in this space. And I feel like the fact that they're even trying to insert it, enter it rather, and insert themselves into something like this is just more evidence that this company is scary, this company is bulbous, and has so much money and so much just backing capital that it can do whatever it wants. And I don't necessarily think that's a good thing, personally. I'm a capitalist, certainly. But, like, why do we need Google? It's a concerning amount of power. It's just weird. (laughs) Especially because they were like, the second they announced it, they were like, we'll use our own special internet. Like, what? Yeah. (laughs) You have your own internet? It's very weird. So we've talked about it in the past. So we'll talk about it in the future, I'm sure, too. By the way, what's interesting in a lot of the videos, trailers coming out at E3 is that the Stadia logo is in it now along the, the bottom with PS4, Xbox One, all that stuff. There's a Stadia logo there now. It's, it's interesting. But I will say this, Chris. People are reading into this. Look at all the support they're getting. Ubisoft's on board and all these guys. I'm like, I don't, that doesn't, that's irrelevant. Like, that's totally. They just want to get their game on as many platforms as possible. It's all... Even in a, in a small emerging market with little success i mean there's they don't have to print discs for it it's really as simple as just like making a skew and sending it off it's like yeah yeah, you can play this on stadia whatever right but it's not gonna cost us anything that's true but the other big thing for me at, at from my perspective chris is that early support is meaningless there were tons of companies that supported vita early capcom was all over vita ubisoft was all over vita they disappeared because you know activision they disappeared because mm-hmm. it didn't do well you know wii u had incredible amounts of ubisoft support and then they disappeared because it didn't do well like, so the guarantee of success doesn't come from publisher publisher and developer support. That just helps helps it. But I think that there is just shit in the ether that will not allow this to work properly. Yeah. And by the way, we discussed in the Xbox episode, I think, that I saw an image from Google that indicated that a lot of people are going to be getting 720 and 30 frames a second on Stadia. That That's something that's not really being discussed either. That's a lower frame rate and lower resolution than games that were really controversial at launch on Xbox One, like Rise, ran at like 980 or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And people lost their minds. Now, can you imagine someone playing a game in 2019 at 720? You know, I don't care if you think that this is something that you think is going to work. It will probably work if you live in a metropolitan area or near a data center. Otherwise, you got your PlayStation 4, your Xbox One, or your Switch or whatever. Derek O wrote into us. I didn't put this in the news, but this is happening right now. He says, hey, CNC, was hoping to get your thoughts on GameStop's imminent demise. Their stock is dropping hard and they don't seem to be long for this world. What are the chances they see another console release? I always like pre-ordering consoles with them to pay off in chunks and then ignore them for another seven years, but it looks like that might not even be an option soon. So for people that don't know, GameStop stock 
fell 35.5% in one day last week. That's crazy. So it lost over a third of its total corporate value when it reported sales, including quarterly sales drops of 13%. That means in three months, their sales dropped 13%. And they anticipate another 10% drop in their total sales. They are fucked. I think GameStop's done. And while some of the prognostication that they're going to be done by the end of this year, I think that's premature. But I think you'll find a buyer, an equity buyer for GameStop brand next year. And then I think the stores are going to go away or begin to go away. And it's a shame, man, because we now know the new Xbox is going to launch in the fall of 2020. We assume PS5 will be in there as well. I don't know they're going to last long enough because that would be a nice little temporary boon for them. GameStop stock, Chris, when the consoles launched, $55 a share. So anyone that held on to it lost $50 a share so far from 2013 to right now. Damn. That's insane. So worth keeping an eye on. Not surprising, though. No. I mean, a lot of stores stores are going, are just heading out because Amazon's too useful. Uh, I even heard rumors of Best Buy having trouble. So, like, I don't know. This is uh, where we're headed. Absolutely. The one thing that I feel bad about, and there were some people responding about this, not only to my tweet about it, but to the news generally, is just a lot of people that work for this store, a lot, they employ a lot of people and a lot of young people, a lot of gamers, a lot of people in college and high school. So I know some of you listening to the show, we're, te- we're not certainly not celebrating the demise of game stuff from that perspective no. or from any perspective, really. It's just that they're not a viable company anymore. And if you work at a GameStop, more power to you. Hopefully you have your job for years to come. But I would uh, keep that resume updated. Unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately, that is the case. Chris Buston wrote into us and said, hey, Colin and Chris, for the first time, I recently saw a video of Chris's roommate, Tom. Oh, my God. I just want to make sure I have Tom's hypothesis correct in regards to the alien pathogens. Okay. Is Tom suggesting that the key to killing aliens is to use the snot of a little kid? Tom is like a train wreck in the sense that I know I shouldn't look, but I just can't help myself. <laughs> I don't know what this is a reference to, but I wanted to I recorded. We were talking about alien pathogens and how, like, if an alien came down, he would be so not used to any of the germs or any of the, you know, anything that makes up our planet that a child could theoretically just walk up to him and sneeze on him and he'd be dead or terminally ill. Like, all, in all likelihood. Yeah. And it wouldn't affect us as, to the degree because we wouldn't be submerged in that. In that ecosystem. Sure. In other words, he doesn't have the immunity built up. No, exactly. Right. This happens with, like, different tribes. Sure. You know, or, like, different groups of people on planet Earth who have never come into contact with each other. Like, you can't just walk into, like, one of those, I don't know, like, one of those islands in India with the with the completely, you know, r- societally removed tribes and then just walk up and sneeze on them. It's going to fuck them up. It's what Columbus did. <laughs> yeah. To the Arawak Indians. Yeah. So you can imagine on a space level? Come on not going to be good not going to be good you're going to have good. hamsters crawling out of people's skulls or some, or some crazy shit joey rawlings running to us said good day gentlemen and congratulations on 50 episodes thank you joey my question is for colin last week colin mentioned that there was a possibility that there would be a sacred symbols live show at pax west colin this struck me as very odd seeing as you typically avoid massive video game events like the plague even saying that after the show you'd vanish like a puff of smoke my question is this what was the reason for the consideration for doing a live show? Did someone from PAX reach out to you and offer an opportunity to do a show? Is this a chance to promote Sacred Symbols? Colin's last standard to cross-promote Chris's projects. Thanks for all you do and continue doing what you do. No. In fact, I, I am of the mind that doing live shows is technically not that great for the audience. Not for the audience that's there, but for the audience that listens to the show, which is why, by the way, I'm not going to be one of those cop-out merchants you're going to get a normal episode of Sacred Symbols that week, even if we do one live. Yeah. I'm not going to be one of those guys because I hate that shit. 
When I listen to like some of the podcasts I listen to, and it's like this week's episode is live in Dallas, and I'm like, get fucked. I'm not going to listen to that. So I wouldn't yeah. want the audio is always terrible. Exactly. Now we're going to have good audio. We're going to have a fun time. I already have ideas of what I want to do with the show. The reason that I wanted to do it was because I know it's important to a lot of you guys out there. You want to meet us. You want to hang out with us. I know that I never appear at these things. And now that I'm not an IGN or kind of funny, I have no reason to go to any of these things. <laughs> I literally live in L.A. and I don't go to E3. Yeah. Both years I've lived in L.A. I didn't go to E3. 12 years in a row before I lived in L.A. I went to E3. Right. So so my reality has changed a great deal. I can't speak for Chris, but this has no I have no promotional intentions with this. I really don't care if anyone yeah. looks at it and and. It's pro- I'm doing it for the audience that's going to be a PAX that wants a live show. Yeah, I just like going to these things, and I've never done a live show. It's going to be it's going to be kind of neat. Yeah, it's fun, it. dude. I like going to these live events sometimes with others, like that. Uh, some things that I'm into. I know that people are in the room; they're excited to be there. We have a good time. We have a zany time. It never translates in podcast form, so we're not trying to do like episode sixty three or whatever. Yeah, but we're gonna have a good time and. So the reason I wanted to do it was because I'm trying to keep my ears open and know what you guys want. And I know a lot of you guys want that. So that's why I'm doing it. Otherwise, we can continue to not do that. <laughs> and I'd be perfectly content with that. But I, I want to do nice things for the audience. Just like when we gave, just like we're not gave. Well, when we, we started selling our merch, we also gave away the logos for free in case you can't afford the merch. We always want to do the right thing by our audience. And I think that this is just something that some people will be excited about. A PAX, should we have the opportunity to do it? Uh, no one at PAX reached out to me. Otherwise, we would have confirmation that we were allowed to do it. But as soon as we hear one way or the other, we'll let you know. And finally, Chris, before we get into what we're playing and then the news, Dylan Michael wrote into us, said, hello, friends. I was wondering what you guys felt regarding the culture around leaks. Jason Schreier for the last day has been basically fighting a one-man battle on Twitter, saying he was in the right for writing an article containing massive E3 leaks, the new From Software game, new Tales game, Nino Kuni remastered. We'll talk about all that in the news, mm-hmm. of course. When people in the comments started arguing with him that he shouldn't publicize leaks because it erases people's hard work to reveal these things at E3, he basically said it was his job to report it. I understand his side, but shouldn't there be a little more consideration to integrity? Imagine working so hard and being so excited to reveal the new From Software game, only to have people spread it all over the web. If more people decided not to spread leaks, perhaps thousands of people could still be surprised at E3 rather than a few hundred. I'm not, uh, I'm not sympathetic to this argument. Uh, I actually kind of agree with Jason. I don't know. How, I don't know if you've been following this or if you agree. I have. I, I've been. Yeah. He, he was having specifically a back and forth with Corey Barlog, who is, of course, the creative director of Sony Santa Monica, who was quite agitated and but in a nice way. But he was clearly agitated by all the leaks and has been on the receiving end of these things. I understand that marketing company or mar- not marketing companies, publishers, their marketers, the developers, everyone is working hard. They want to reveal this game at the right time, all that kind of stuff. But guys, these are products and I feel like people are a little too defensive when the product that they're going to buy leaks. Like, I, I don't I, I personally don't really understand why you'd be offended by that on behalf of anyone. That's my that's my personal take. Now, if you want the developer, the developers have a nice plan and all that kind of stuff. But guys, it's marketing. Right. Like, it's not like I don't care what the plan is. It's marketing. It's trying to get your pre-order dollars. It's trying to get you to buy the game. That's great. But you're you, everyone kind of dying on their cross acting like you what you're basically missing out on is a well orchestrated marketing push. And if you don't get that at first, then what do you miss out on? Uh, that, that's that's I, my major thing. Yeah, I don't know. I, I would say that it's his job to do that. And you have a choice to not keep updated with that stuff. That's typically what I do if I don't want to hear anything about something. I'll just avoid it. There are some pushes where it gets annoying, like with Spider-Man when that was launching. The amount of shit that, that was I outrageous. saw that was insane. It worked. 
I mean, I was going to get it anyway, though. Right. Like, I was sold on it. But uh, what I'm saying is that, of course, we It did we translate were get well it. to sales, and yeah, I understand it sold that. For, yeah, it so sold, yeah. I do recall, before I paid attention to shit, being very, very excited about shit that would, that would appear at E3, because I didn't know anything about it, and I would have a far greater sense of joy from it, just because it was just like, whoa, what the hell is that? But at the same time, it's I, I don't know I I don't know if you could get really angry at anybody for having an opinion on this. I feel I feel like I understand literally every angle of this. Yeah. Because I would hate to be working on something that I think is gonna really, really surprise people and like maybe get that reaction that I get from so many, uh, so many of these you know trailers and to have that kind of stolen. I could see why that would would be annoying. But to ask a, a journalist not to do his job is also kind of insane. Yeah. Jason makes the point. Which is a point well taken that he knows about a ton of stuff that he hasn't written about. And I know about a stuff that I've not, I don't talk about. And so what is the difference between what we choose to talk about and what we don't choose to talk about? I think the answer is... What's newsworthy and what's relevant? I also think it's like what's out there and what isn't. The Bandai Namco leak, for instance, was on their website. So if, if Kotaku doesn't report it, someone else is going to report no, it. Yeah, exactly. It's not like Jason Schreier was like, I know Elden Rings is being developed and George Martin wrote it and all that. Like, and even if he did do that, by the way, I don't know that I'd be that upset about it. Like, he would, by the way, I, lose all of his access forever for doing yeah, that. Yeah, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be upset about it. That would be a dick move, though. It would be a dick move. But the um, point I'm trying to make is like, don't what do you this is the problem, Chris. People want journalism. Then they don't. And sometimes journalism is breaking things that aren't supposed to be known. Yeah. Like, well, like, like for instance, the, the Pentagon Papers or, for instance, Elden Ring. Like, they're kind of the same thing in their <laughs> own in their own verticals, right? I would say the Anthem piece is sure. also one of, another one of those. I get it. I like being excited, too. I think that the only people I can sympathize with in the entire chain are the devs. And that's that's, an, that's the thing. That's an important component. I understand what Corey's saying when he says, like, hey... We have a plan, but I'm not so sympathetic with Corey as creative director who has his hands in marketing and who has his hands in all this kind of stuff and is shilling his game as we shill sacred symbols. So I'm not saying that in a derogatory way, right? Yeah. The devs are just in the trench and they're excited for people to see what they've been working on that they've not even been able to tell their spouses for or about for years. That they Those guys I feel bad for. So in other words, I don't feel bad for Namco Bandai. I feel bad for From Software. I don't feel bad for Namco Bandai. I feel bad for level five. And there's a difference there. But I think that if you want journalists to write things and to tell you things, then you either want that or you don't. I I don't know that you really can be that choosy about like when you're getting such poor quality journalism generally and then someone does journalism. I just want people to remember that the next time like when the unredacted Mueller report inevitably leaks. I want you to remember that because that wasn't supposed to be seen by you, by the way. I was I was really thrilled that I wasn't uh, anticipating destroying humans. I was kind of ironically anticipating it, like because I didn't think they would do that. But when I saw the trailer, I was like, "Okay, I'm happy." I got genuinely ecstatic. Chris, let's get into what we're playing. You have an addition this week. I do. What did you play? I've been playing. I, I well, I played and beat uh, Trover Saves the Universe, which is a Squanch Tendo game, I believe, or Squanch Games, uh, Justin Roiland game. I, I've met Justin Roiland twice. Full disclosure, I don't really know him all that well, but I feel like it's r- vaguely relevant. It's fun. It's a it's a VR kind of it's it your your cameras. It, it's really weird. I don't know how to explain a Justin Roiland game because if you've ever seen like a random uh, like a cable an intergalactic cable episode of Rick and Morty, it's basically that. I think it's entirely improvised, or that it seems like it. The plot revolves around this bird god that steals your dogs and plugs them into his eye holes and becomes a a god, and you have to basically kill him. And you take control of this purple man who's just... It's really 
it's really irreverent and really difficult to explain. I would I would recommend it though. It's it's <laughs> it got me laughing. So it's on PlayStation VR. Is that where you played it, or did you play it on Oculus? I played it on or I played it normally on Epic. Oh, so you played it without VR? Without VR. Oh, that is a VR game, though, right? It is a VR game. Oh, okay. But you can play it without it. Okay, cool. So you got on Epic. Another full disclosure: Chris has. Yeah, I have an Epic account. Yeah, Chris has our our press Epic account, which gives him every game for free. Yeah, no big deal. So you enjoyed. Trover saves the universe. I had a good time with it. It's 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 irreverent. Oh, okay. If, you, I had if, no idea if you're a Rick and Morty guy, you'll probably like it. Cool. I had no idea that it was not a or that it was a normal PlayStation or video game as opposed to a VR game. Yeah. So that, that makes it a little more appealing to me. I've still been playing Felsier Arbiters Felseal Arbiters Mark, which I talked about last week. Final Fantasy Tactics. Yeah, I'm about thirty hours in. And Ryan R. Kittredge wrote into us and said, Hey, Chris and Colin, just wanted to thank Colin for recommending Felseal, scratching a 20-year itch I've had for something like Final Fantasy Tactics. Really enjoying it so far. I showed Chris the game a little bit earlier. Now, Chris isn't familiar with Final Fantasy Tactics, so I don't think he appreciated the similarities between the game, but they are deep. And he and I were discussing, as we discussed last week, the difference between an homage and like a ripoff and how the difference might just be the volume of things that are available for you to have, right? Like the volume of games. In other words, this game would look much more like a ripoff than an homage if there was 10 games like it. But there no, exactly. aren't. There are zero games like it other than Final Fantasy Tactics and Tactics Ogre. Yeah. So, Felseal, Arbiter's Mark, still my game of the year. We'll see if anything beats it. Chris, let's get into the news. Let's do it. There's a lot. Now, again... This news is just in the order that I put it in based on what we know so far as we're recording this. We will add more as we continue. So if you're wondering why we got to the wrap-up and we're missing like shit from Ubisoft and Square Enix, just keep listening. Okay? Yeah. Don't get upset. Just keep listening. Chris, number one. As revealed at the Xbox E3 conference, From Software is developing a new game being published by Bandai Namco called Elden Ring. What's perhaps most interesting about it, however, is that it's a collaboration between From Software and author George R.R. R. Martin the world-renowned writer behind Game of Thrones. Although it was revealed by Microsoft, the game will also be coming to PlayStation 4, though we know little else about it. From Software, of course, is best known for a PS3-exclusive Demon Souls, PS4-exclusive Bloodborne, and the Dark Souls franchise. The team is also responsible for the Kingsfield games and the Armored Core games and a ton of other shit as well. Now, we talked about this a little bit, just about leaks and all this kind of stuff. This was the big leak from yeah. pre-E3. What did you make of this? We didn't. We don't know anything about it's it. It's more of a teaser trailer than yeah. anything. FromSoft is typically a safe bet. I love Sekiro. Uh, so, but you don't like Dark Souls. I don't. So that's not so much of a safe bet. Right, right? but Bloodborne and Sekiro are definitely more mm. in line with what I, I just and think more they feel, modern. They're more modern mm. and they feel more polished. Mm. And like those old Dark Souls one, I just like, I can't. I can't, dude. I can't. You I don't acknowledge like the dragon it. killing you on the bridge. That was always fun. I acknowledge it. I like it looks. I, a million people love it. So there's got to be something there. You know? Is there? I mean,. I guess you could make the same case for Sonic, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, you could. Well, or uh, anything, really. As I've said, and I'm really only half kidding about it, Souls fans are very quickly becoming the most annoying fans in all video games, right? So, and that just removes my want to even ingratiate myself in those games because you say one cross word. When I inevitably play Sekiro this summer and I have one cross thing to say about it, it's over. In fact, people were mad at me that I said all these things about Sekiro when we talked about it the first time that I never even said. So who that? So just you're, you can be mad about anything. But you guys have to. Got, if you're Souls fans, you gotta be careful because you are quickly, quickly getting to a point that I am not going to be able to handle it. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Does that make any sense to you, Chris? There I, aren't that many I, game fans out there that that have that level of annoyance for me. What would you say the other ones are? Like Undertale. 
Undertale is too small, you know? Like, Undertale was a pretty obnoxious thing for a while. Fortnite, obviously. Fortnite, oh, yeah. No, yeah, okay, fair. But Souls fans are get, Souls fans are annoying for a different reason. Fortnite fans are annoying because it's just ubiquitous, right? Remember when we were walking to the diner that day and we were dicking around about how we cannot escape Fortnite and then five seconds later there was this little kid on the street talking about Fortnite with his mom? Yeah. I've never seen anything like that. That was, like, unbelievable. It happens to me all the time, actually. It's why I, I, it's why I no longer go outside. <laughs> That's good. I, I don't like going outside that much either myself. But I'm only kidding. Souls fans, you're great. Just stop being annoying. Yeah. And then, you'll be, and then you'll win Colin's approval. And I know you're all desperate for that. Number two, Cyberpunk 2077 has a release date. The eagerly anticipated CD Projekt open world RPG is set to come out on April 16th, 2020 on PlayStation 4 and elsewhere. Cyberpunk has been marinating at CD Projekt for a very long time, since long before the studio hit mainstream prominence with The Witcher 3, and will mark their biggest game release to date. Unlike The Witcher, the lore and story of which is drawn from a Polish fantasy series of books, Cyberpunk is an entirely new series, fully owned by the team. Unlike The Witcher 3, which was in third person, Cyberpunk is in first person. And it this features Keanu Reeves! Keanu Reeves is in it. Just, just as himself, basically, in the game, fully rendered as he is. Keanu Reeves kind of plays Keanu Reeves in his movies, kind of like Matthew McConaughey. Like, I always joke around. It's like when Matthew McConaughey's name, I should say like Matthew McConaughey as Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. It's very similar to Keanu Reeves. But like you had mentioned, Keanu Reeves is in a renaissance mm -hmm. and it's all being topped by Cyberpunk 2077. How much do you think he's in that game? Do you think he has like he's an NPC that gives you like a quest or do you think he's like a character, like a real character? I think he's probably a real character. You think so? Yeah, I think they, they do this all the time with like actors. No, I know that, but main someone like Keanu Reeves is not a protagonist in a video game or like a normal like main character in a video He'll game. He'll probably die. Whoa. He'll probably die early on, and then you'll have to go on a revenge quest to avenge Keanu. That would be I, fucking I, awesome. I hope his name is just Keanu Reeves. That would be awesome. If his I name was not only Keanu Reeves, but that the entire story was about going on a revenge quest because someone killed Keanu Reeves. That would be actually amazing. <laughs> that would I I'm not saying John Wick, but like the dog is Keanu Reeves. <laughs> I'm not even really that excited about Cyberpunk. I think it looks excellent, but it's a game that will I'll be excited about when it gets here. There's just so much between that. I got and excited from this trailer. The trailer nice. looks great. It looks beautiful. Remember, I was saying to you, I'm like, do you think we're gonna ever see a like ever live in a world like this? <laughs> Wasn't no. it with this game? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was where I was like, do you, you know, the very futuristic city and the floating cars and all that kind of shit. Probably Chris says probably not. No, we'll blow ourselves up or unleash a pathogen before we get there. The, that's what's stopping me from getting excited about Cyberpunk, though, is there's just so much real estate between now and then. There's 30 games I'm going to play in between now and then. You yeah. Know? Including a bunch of shit that is announced and a bunch of shit that's unannounced. That's like kind of what's keeping me... I don't like getting excited about games that are too far out because why? You know, like, and then, then you just think about it. I would rather just try to immerse myself in what we have more imminently and what we have right now and look forward to Cyberpunk, but keep it all in, in the realm of reason. The one thing I want to say is that I feel like it might be possible, maybe I'm crazy, might be possible that people are getting too excited about this game and that they're going to be disappointed in it. It's definitely like one of those fever pitch kind of games. I would say, sure. like No Man's Sky, you know? Uh, that Where it was like, it's not going to be that bad. Yeah. It's not going to be a, that much of a disconnect. I'm sure Cyberpunk 27 is going to be a good game. Yeah, well, yes, you're right. If not great. Yeah. The question is whether or not it will be great. Yeah. Or fantastic. We'll see. Or just good. Which, by the way, is fine. It would be fine if they weren't hyping it like this. Yeah. But, yeah, we'll see what it's all about. I'm excited about it, but not that excited about it. The next one on the list, Chris, number three. We've finally gotten our first look at publisher EA's and developer Respawn's upcoming Star Wars game, Jedi Fallen Order. Better yet, we have a release date. 
The game will come to PS4 and elsewhere on November 15th, later this year. The game takes place in between Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, and Episode 4, A New Hope, and puts players in the role of a character named Cal Kestis. As we already knew, the game focuses around Order 66, which was the original Purge of Jedi. Interestingly, Saw Gerrera, Forrest Whitaker's character in Rogue One, plays a prominent role in this game as well. Neat. Josh Naylor wrote into us and said, Hi, CNC. After watching the gameplay reveal trailer for Respawn's new game, Jedi Fallen Order, I have a question that has bugged me for years now. Why do people playing demos on stage revealing gameplay for the first time always seem to suck at their own games? Watching characters constantly get hit and shot when easily avoidable is so frustrating, as well as that classic annoying slow camera pan to show off the level around them. It so badly makes me wish that I could take control the controller away from them. Well, the slow pan bothers me too, but don't you want to see it? Yeah, that's the thing. It's like I'm it, not doing it. It bothers me every time I see it, but I'm glad it exists. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's one of those weird kind of things. That's why I appreciated the hell out of last year's Doom reveal. Because they were like, hey, here's what it looks like on a mouse and PC. And it's just this dude, yeah. like, you know? <laughs> yeah, playing at 60 frames. Yeah, and... not even remotely looking at anything that isn't killable. It's great. What did you think of this Jedi Fallen Order game from what you've seen of it? It looks like it's probably going to be good. I don't know if it's going to be fantastic or great. It looks, it looks very weighty. I was expecting something a little bit more fast, more in line with, more in line with Titanfall. And I guess more in line with recently Apex. Because uh, those are both very fast, very swift. This looks a little bit more like like a God of War or like an Uncharted where your character has a lot of weight to him. It does look cool, though. There's parkour and wall crawling and stuff. He crawled a freaking... Climbing up an ad at Climbed up an ad at Like a Shadow of the Colossus looks sick. It I does look really cool. I think it's probably going to be cool. I think I'm probably going to enjoy it. It reminds me a lot of Force Unleashed if, if that game had, you know, a big budget. Force Unleashed. Remember Force Unleashed and the sequel? That was like at some point the best we could have hoped for for Star Wars games. It's very interesting what's happened in the 10 years or so since the Force Unleashed came out where suddenly we expect so much more. That mm -hmm. was in the very quiet era of Star Wars. I think that this game, what's exciting about this game, Chris, we knew it, when it that it was going to take place around A New Hope because of Order 66, but I think that that's such a right place for Star Wars storytelling is between three and four. And... Not only because there's a ton of time between the movies, but there's just so much shit that happens that we only allude that they only allude to. We don't really hear about. That's what was so. That's why I love Rogue One. Rogue One is my favorite Star Wars movie, except for Empire. Like mm -hmm. I love that movie. I think that movie, especially the at the end when Darth Vader walks onto the ship, oh, it's and the movies connect to each other. Yeah, brilliant. When Vader literally points at the guy and then lifts him to the ceiling and just pins him to the ceiling, I had like. I don't get goosebumps that very a, often. That, that, was was a, a that was a well-directed horror scene, but it only makes A New Hope look really weird. Yeah. Because Vader sucks. Yeah, when he's fighting Obi-Wan, when he's fighting Yeah, ben. he's just yeah. like flailing a stick around when it, like, <laughs> just like at the beginning of this movie, he was like doing some crazy shit. Definitely the most menacing I've ever seen Darth Vader look. Yeah, and, Rogue One oh. was fine. Oh, I loved Rogue One. I think I only like Empire. I think that's the only Star Wars movie that I think is particularly good. I can, I can respect that. What I love about Rogue One is that I just feel like it it captures the lo-fi element of Star Wars like that not everything revolves around the Jedi and not everything revolves around these really important people that like these guys are just like mercenaries out on a out on a trip here to to do something really important that they don't realize is so important yeah that's what I think is so cool because Star Wars always seems so small that was the only movie that made it seem big to me mm. wow there's all these other people in the fucking universe <laughs> and not you know Han Solo isn't around every corner <laughs> yeah that always annoyed me about Star Wars. Oh, yeah, when, like, C-3PO would just show up. Yeah, why is C-3PO and R2-D2 in every... Like, it's just impossible. It's just impossible. It just doesn't make any sense. But it is Star Wars, and that, too, is impossible. 
So I guess that's also an important thing to note. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Chris, number four. Yes. Doom Eternal finally has a release date. The Bethesda published and id software developed follow up to 2016's very fine Doom comes out on November 22nd, 2019. Additionally, the game will have a pretty insane-looking collector's edition that includes a lot of interesting goodies, including a wearable helmet. Doom Eternal's multiplayer mode has also been branded Battle Mode, though we know little else about it. Right now, other than that, more will be revealed this summer at QuakeCon. Chris, what do you think of that release date? I think it's a mistake. I don't care. I just want it. Well, you don't care. Yeah. All right, so let's (laughs) let's examine it from two different... You can put that out on December 38th. A, wow. a date that does not exist. That'd be crazy. As long as I can play it. That's January seventh. Yeah. Just now do it. I don't care. <laughs> now, now, Chris. It is a it is a competitive time slot to release that. It's horrible. Uh, it's that horrible. game in. It is a horrible time slot for that game. I don't know what the fuck they're thinking. No idea. Yeah, the second because they announced um they announced the new Wolfenstein game, and I immediately was like, okay, this is probably December. I don't know. Like one of those. December weird... would be a great time for it. Yeah. Actually, December would be great because it's a DLC piece yeah. of spin-off. No, exactly. So. But then that was announced for July, and I was like, oh. So Doom is definitely not in summer. I, my, I would have put it in September, personally. I think that's a pretty smart time to release it because you can still get in on all that Black Friday stuff. Still get in for the holidays and not be so late. I um, think November 22nd represents the final date that they could even release it this calendar year, which indicates to me that they're not even done. And I wonder if it's going to get delayed. They're obviously not done now, but they don't anticipate that they're going to be done in time for October, for instance, right? Otherwise, they would have released it in October, you assume. maybe. November 22nd represents on the calendar the final date that you can release that game this year. Because you're not going to release the game after Thanksgiving and you're not going to release it in December, which indicates to me, why not hold it to like February, March? I don't need it this year. I know. So that's what we're examining from two different things, right? We're examining it from I'd play it right now and love it. And it's going to be released at any day. We're both going to love it and buy it and all that kind of stuff. Maybe we won't love it, but we're certainly going to have it. Yeah, But from the perspective of like getting people to pay attention to it, I don't think it's a very smart move. And I don't know that they're going to be happy with the results because there's a lot of shit coming out in November. There's a lot of shit coming out in October. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking about – we were talking about before. Jedi Fallen Order comes out the week before this. Call of Duty is going to be out by this point. There's going to be a bunch of other shit out as well. We're probably going to get something from first parties and all this kind of stuff. I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know that this – this doesn't strike me as very smart at all. But – Maybe it won't matter. Like you're saying, maybe this game is so laser focused on some group of gamers. But I, think, I, I feel I, like a part of the gamers that they're focused on are the Call of Duty guys, frankly. I actually don't think so. You don't think that there's a crossover between sure the Call of Duty I'm sure there's some crossover, but I don't know if it's 
to the degree that it would really all matter all that much. Mm. I really, I feel like they're very, very different FPSs. The, the few people that I know who play, who pl- who've played both, either hate one or love the other one. There's very few because pe- it's they're very different FPSs. They are. I love them both personally. What do you think, by the way, Chris? About how do I put this? What do you think about them? I guess I'll just put it as simply as possible. What do you think about them including multiplayer? Now, the last one had multiplayer, too. I don't think this game needs multiplayer. And I think it's interesting that they just don't even bother with Wolfenstein multiplayer at all. But they put multiplayer in Doom. Mm-hmm. Very, it doesn't seem like it's necessary. I, I don't know. Doom 2016 had a horrendous multiplayer mode that was developed, I believe, by certain affinity or like some other studio that was working alongside it. So it wasn't the core id team. So the fact that this is the Corey team makes me a little bit more willing to try it out. Personally, I think, you know, if you have a fantastic single-player experience, then a, a lackluster multiplayer doesn't really matter at all. It's kind of like The Last of Us, you know? The Last of Us multiplayer was great. It, but it didn't I mean, matter. Is that what you're the saying? That's the thing. It's like yeah. The Last of Us multiplayer could have sucked. Right. Horrendously. Right. And people still would have loved The Last of Us. It would, it would still be like a cult. I don't, I don't think anybody really thinks about the multiplayer when they think of The Last of Us. No, not first and foremost. It, although it does remind me, Chris, of that. We've talked about this in the past, but it reminds me of that season pass era, 2010, 2011, when everything came with a multiplayer mode. Mm-hmm. And I look at Doom Eternal and I'm like, okay, battle mode, which is, I think, a they, they, it's like a compound word and it's cool. They they It's very Doom and they were very funny in their presentation and it was cool, but... I know I speak from a single-player perspective, but I just am surprised that they're using internal resources on this when Doom Eternal could be two hours longer or something. And I know that it doesn't translate one-to-one that way because way back in pre-production, they decide on a way to go. But I don't know. It just seems strange to me. It, maybe it's an experiment, though, between Wolfenstein and Doom to see if it matters because yeah. we haven't gotten Wolfenstein – let's see. We haven't gotten Wolfenstein multiplayer in 10 years, I think since 2009 Wolfenstein. So they've totally abandoned that. Which yeah. is interesting. But now they've got co-op. That's true. So We're going to talk about that in a minute. Stop spoiling everything. <laughs> Number five. Tango Gameworks revealed their new game at the Bethesda E3 press conference, and it isn't a third Evil Within game, which is surprising. It is worth noting that I predicted they'd be there, but I thought it would be an Evil Within game, so I was wrong. Instead, it's an all-new IP called Ghostwire Tokyo, and it isn't a survival horror game like the studio is typically known for, but instead an action-adventure game with horror elements. Tango Gameworks was founded back in 2010 and almost immediately joined the Bethesda Studio family. Its first two games, The Evil Within and The Evil Within 2, came out in 2014 and 2017, respectively. And the studio is famously held, helmed rather, by Shinji Mikami, the director of the original Resident Evil, Dino Crisis, Resident Evil 4, my personal, one of my personal favorites, Vanquish. Vanquish is great. And others, and the producer of Resident Evil 2, Devil May Cry, God Hand, Beautiful Joe, and more, and much more. Beautiful Joe? Yeah. I didn't know that. The game wasn't given a release date, a release window, or even a release year. My suspicion is 2021, and my other suspicion is that this is not a current-gen game. But I don't know that we can confirm that yet. 2017 for Evil Within means that the game can't possibly be ready by the end of this year, so we know that. They would have already released a date. Yeah. Next year seems a little quick, especially for a new IP. I think... First half 2021, PS4, or I'm sorry, PS5, Scarlet. That's I think I that's pretty fair. Looks cool. Looks awesome. Actually, it was the only ga- one of the only games I saw today where I actually lean over to Chris. I'm like, this looks great. Yeah. Yeah, this looks great. Shinji Mikami is just, if you actually, people should go. Look at Shinji Mikami's list of games that he's directed, produced, executive produced, you know, whatever. It's a pretty impressive list of games. I mean, this guy has like very few games that were like, it's not even like bad games or mediocre games. Like these are famous games. Yeah, it's pretty interesting when you read like his uh, his whole thing. And 
It's so funny how Capcom was just totally unable to retain like any of its talent from that era. Not only with him, but also with others like in, with Inafune and other guys like that. It's just very interesting. The next one, Chris, Arcane Studios, the French Bethesda-owned team best known for the Dishonored series, as well as 2017's Prey, revealed its new game. It's called Deathloop, a trippy-looking, presumably first-person game that's all about replaying a time loop in which you have an arch enemy and you're basically trying to kill each other. Neither Arcane nor publisher Bethesda revealed any other details, including a release date window or year. We only got a trailer. I was actually disappointed at first because those guys came on stage and they were only showing concept art. And I was like, oh, you got to be fucking kidding me, <laughs> It was like Respawn last year. It's like, we're working on Star Wars. Right. Or even worse, like Bethesda last year with Elder Scrolls Six and Starfield. Oh, yeah. Which they only mentioned once. Again, no reason to ever. There was one review. Skyrim mention also. There the was. Bethesda showcase. Which one. we'll talk about when we talk about Orion. Ooh. So I don't know that there's too much more to say about this right now. Arcane is a little bit weird. There are two teams. They have one in France, their core team, and then they have one in Texas as well. This seems to be the French team making this, and it looks cool. Yeah. We don't know anything about it. Neat premise, whatever the hell it is. The next one, Chris, Fallout 76's previously announced pieces of DLC Wastelanders and Nuclear Winter were both revealed in full at Bethesda's E3 press conference. Better yet, they're both going to be released completely free of charge to any person who owns Fallout 76 itself. Wastelanders is a major update that begins Fallout 76's so-called second year, adding new quests, NPCs, dialogue trees, and all the other core Fallout features that the game had totally lacked. Nuclear Winter, on the other hand, is a 52-player battle royale. Covering all their bases. We definitely need another one of those. I appreciated the acknowledgement that it wasn't good, that they, yeah. they did it in a very gamey way, but you know, Todd Howard came out, said... The, I actually wrote it down. I don't have it in this document. He said something along the lines of, Sur- like, we I'm deserved it. you guys are still here. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And we, we deserve the feedback and all that kind of stuff. I think this... So the DLC on this roadmap was already revealed. We already knew that one of them was called Wastelanders. We already knew one of them was called Nuclear Winter. We didn't know the nature of them, and I don't think they were supposed to be free. So I think that those are kind of new additions. But I don't know if it's too little too late. The way they talk about the game makes it seem like it's much more popular and much bigger than it is because they keep saying millions of people have played it. Millions of people have played it. It doesn't matter, dude. It's about who's playing who's it. playing it right now. Yeah. I don't know. I, apparently, there's a lot of people still playing it, which is kind of insane. But, hey, man, at least they're adding stuff to it. It, it could be worse. They could just abandon it. They could. Which would be significantly worse. They could. And that was what we were talking about, I think, a week or two ago, right? The, the Catch-22 that they find themselves in. Yeah. Some might call it a Catch-76. Ooh, good. That's a good term. Where they can abandon it because it looks really bad optically and screws a bunch of people that bought the game. But you don't really want to support it that much yeah. because no one's... Who cares? And now they're just dumping all this shit in what they assumed would be paid DLC, I'm sure. Season Pass DLC is now just going to be free. So now they're just eating shit. But I appreciate that. They can afford it. But yeah. they really – I would have liked a lot more of them just coming out and being like, the game, the game's fucked up and we're sorry. We're, I would have liked that we're sorry kind of thing. And so we're going to make all the DLC free. Instead of just acting like, yeah, it's got its fans. And yeah, I'm sure it does, dude. People like shitting on other people's chests on corners of the internet. <laughs> that doesn't mean it has – you know, it, yeah. that also has its fans. I just think it's okay? fascinating. Cleveland it's- steamers have their fans. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Christ. I just think it's fascinating, though, because it's like I've said this before, but I think it's still true, especially after today, as as you know, as much as NPCs and dialogue trees should have been in Fallout 76 as it launched. It's just a weird reality we're living in where Fallout 76 looks like it's in better hands than Anthem is. It's just kind of shocking. It is. You wouldn't have expected that 
beforehand. No. And Anthem, you will remember, had this little ping pong game going on where it wasn't on the EA Play stream list than it was. Then I don't think it ended up being there. Something yeah, like that. It wasn't that. there in the end. So we, we talked last week on the show last week on episode 49 about Cataclysm and kind of the updates coming to Anthem and the similar catch 76 that Anthem's in. But, you know, I agree with you. It's almost as if they would be able to change and Bioware would probably be able to fix some of the gameplay issues that were wrong in Fallout 76 while Bethesda would probably be able to add the much needed content to Anthem. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Instead, both games are going to die. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, everyone. Next one, Chris. The Outer Worlds finally has a release date. The exciting new open world RPG from newly acquired Xbox Studio Obsidian is coming to PlayStation 4 and elsewhere on October 25th of this year. Another reason not to release Doom on November 22nd. As this game was already in development when Xbox bought Obsidian, and since it already had its own publisher, Private Division, there will be no interruption in bringing this title to PS4. Though you should, you should expect that this will be the final game Obsidian will be making for PlayStation platforms. So we saw a little bit more about it. I've seen enough. It looks cool. Obsidian's yeah. great. Yeah, that's, that's where I'm at with it. I thought it was a weird, uh, a pretty weak trailer, honestly. Yeah, I guess so. It's just kind of like one of these, like, what? Because they, they, uh, Microsoft opened up their show with it, and I was like, eh, I don't know if it's like an opener. It was a weird opener because it's a multi-platform game. Now, sometimes they would open with Call of Duty or something. Actually, traditionally, they would open with shit like Call of Duty, and that was a multi-platform game, but that was a big bang, but you just bought this team, and you're showcasing some other publisher's game that's going to be on your competitor. I know they're trying to be very agnostic, but I agree with you. They should have opened with, like, Gears or something like that, or even Ori or... Yeah, I would have opened with Gears or something like that. Yeah, I agree. So I thought that was a little weird, bit of a weird opener. But The Outer Worlds is coming in October. New Borderlands 2 DLC is incoming. That's right, Borderlands 2. Better yet, it'll be completely free to download so long as you own Borderlands, the Handsome Jack collection, which, hint, hint, happens to be free for PlayStation Plus subscribers. I actually think it's just called the Handsome Collection. I don't know why I wrote that. The DLC is called Commander Lilith and the Fight for Sanctuary, and it, it apparently provides 10 hours or so of new story content along with a level cap boost and other upgrades. Unfortunately, the DLC will not work with standalone versions of the game as available on last-gen consoles, including PlayStation 3. So you're not going to be able to get it on your PS3 version. But again, Handsome Jack Collection or the Handsome Collection, whatever it's called, free on PS Plus right now. Also free on Xbox One for Game Pass yeah. or gold. Games for gold. So no reason unless you don't have one of these subscriptions. So go buy it, then get your DLC, set yourself up for Borderlands 3, which comes out, I believe, in September. You can look forward That's to that. That's really cool. It's really cool that they would do that. I think it's really neat. I was telling Chris when we were watching it, I really think it would have been cool, although it would have been certification money and no one would have bought it if it really was available on all the versions of the game, even like something like Vita. Like that would have been really, <laughs> that would have been funny as hell yeah. to just promote the hell out of the game and, and connect them. What I'll be interested in is, Chris, actually the embargo for the review was up. People have had the game and the reviews are already live for it. But I want, and I haven't read them. I don't want to read them to spoil anything for myself, but I wonder if there'll be some way decisions made in the game or just some sort of gear or whatever i wonder if it'll carry over if you'll be able to kind of send your save to something and it'll be available in borderlands 3 i wonder if there'll be any effect on the new game yeah i don't know that'd be neat it would be the newest tales game tales of arise was revealed at xbox's e3 press conference and will be coming to playstation 4 in 2020 this comes as welcome news to tales fans as there hasn't been a game launched in the course franchise since 2016 and in the west in 2017 when tales of Berseria launched to mixed reviews Arise will be the 17th mainline release in a series that began way back in 1995 when Tales of Fantasia launched on Super Famicom. The series first came to the U.S. in 1998 with Tales of Destiny on the original PlayStation and hit mainstream JRPG status with the launch of Tales of Symphonia on GameCube about 15 years ago. So we have that to look forward to. It doesn't look like a Tales game to me at all. And 
the first one that Hideo Baba is not involved with in a long time, I am totally skeptical. Mm-hmm. But we will see. We don't know anything else about Looks it. Looks very anime. Oh, true. I'm checked out. Nino Ku- speaking in the anime, yeah. Nino Kuni Wrath of the White Witch is coming to PlayStation 4 according to a pre-E3 leak that was then confirmed by publisher Bandai Namco. Nino Kuni originally came to PlayStation 3 back in 2011 and to the West only in early 2013 and absolutely bold players over. I wrote off here. I don't know why. Its sequel, Nino Kuni 2 Revenant Kingdom, came to PS4 last year. So this is a little late as a promotional tool, but it's still awesome that it's coming apparently sometime this fall. Nino Kuni was developed by Level 5, the Japanese team behind Professor Layton, a couple of Dragon Quest games, the Dark Cloud series, and other titles in conjunction with Studio Ghibli, the most beloved Japanese anime studio ever. One of the most beautiful games and one of PlayStation 3's finest games as well. Love it. And really weird that it's coming out now. It is what I call the reverse marketing. In other words, it's coming after the game that it was supposed to market and no one cares anymore. But the original Nino Kuni is about five times better than Nino Kuni 2. So you have that to look forward to. Neo GD wrote into us and said, CM Punk's with Nino Kuni remastered leaked. Does this mean we could be seeing a Nino Kuni 3? Also, out of all the remastered news, which games do you think have the best possibility of getting new entries? It's a good question. I'm going to ignore that later question because it's impossible to say. There's way too many of these these games coming out. I don't know. It would just be a shot in the dark. I really doubt you're going to see Nino Kuni 3. I really, really doubt that. But maybe. Was 2 not well received at all? 2 had like media. I don't want to say mediocre reviews. That's not true. I think it's somewhere in the sevens. I thought it was way weaker. It it totally misunderstood what made Nino Kuni great, which was the emotion of the story. It was sad. It's about a a boy's mom dying and how he goes to another world to try to find her. Like, that's sad shit. Nino Kuni was horrifyingly sad. And Nino Kuni 2 just wasn't. And so without that anchor and emotion, it just was a kind of a middling role-playing game. Yeah. I didn't care much for it. I sir, I didn't beat it. Electronic Arts has revealed three new smaller independent games as part of its EA Originals brand, which of course is EA's brand that focuses on smaller, more niche titles. More information comes by way of IGN. Two of the games currently have titles and firm details, while the third game is a little more nebulous in terms of what we currently know about it. While Hazelight Studios' new EA game has neither a title, or I'm sorry, it doesn't have a title, we do know that it'll be in the same cooperative spirit as A Way Out. And the EA Originals game from the studio in 2018. Hazelight made that game. I really liked The Way Out a lot from what I played of it. Yeah. Zoink's new EA Original is called Lost in Random, a strategy action game. You'll recall that Zoink's last game, Faye, was also under EA Original and like A Way Out also came out in 2010. I don't have the third game written down here, so I guess I kind of fucked that up. Oh, well. Well, you know what? We're going to record this in like three segments, so I'll update this story tomorrow. Yeah. So just fast forward like 20 minutes. <laughs> Bethesda revealed the release date of its previously announced full-length Wolfenstein DLC called Youngblood. The DLC will be released on July 26th, and you won't need to own Wolfenstein 2 in order to play it, similarly to previous Wolfenstein DLC. As we already know, the game is fully playable both in co-op and by yourself and takes place in the 1980s in Nazi-occupied France. Players take the role of BJ Blazkowicz's twin daughters who are searching for him in Europe. What do you think of that, Chris? Looks cool. Killer soundtrack. Really that, yeah, it's it. like got a nice synth soundtrack. Very nice. Yeah, it looks really cool. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of weird about the Wolfenstein games because I really like them, but I feel like their their difficulty is like really weird, and I'm not sure. How, I'm I'm not sure they've they've learned how to make a proper like well rounded difficulty. It just feels like everything's either too easy or too hard. So I hope they can rectify that. Well, the new Colossus, the most recent Wolfenstein game from 2017, yeah, was really fucking hard and i don't say that with any reservation no yeah it was it was incredibly hard i felt like uh it just felt like you died from everything i played it on i tried to play it on hard 
and I couldn't. I'm like, I can't do that. Like, I, I guess I could, but it was like, it, this is horrible. Like, I, I don't want to play like this. And even on normal difficulty, I was like, wow, this game's fucking tough, dude. I didn't, I, any self-respecting person is not going to bump it down any further than that. Yeah. But I really actually found it totally wildly unbalanced. And that was really weird, you know, because. That was the only problem I had with it, really. Isn't it strange, though? Like, what were they thinking with that? Like that was a totally unbalanced game. It was one of the most unbalanced yeah. shooters I've ever played. I've said this before. It's like it's they wanted to, you to play it like it's Doom, but they they just made it so punishingly difficult. And a lot of the bullets that came at you were hit scans, so there was no way for you to actually dodge anything. It's not like Doom where you can see the projectiles coming to you and you actually have a chance to react to it. Right. It was just like you're done. You're done. It was like PUBG or something. It was ridiculous. It was also one of those. It reminded me of World at War a little bit, the Call of Duty game where a lot of the stuff was on triggers where you could run through the game. There weren't monster closets where there'd be like infinite enemies coming out, which is World at War's like fucking calling card. That was, shit was horrifying. Yeah. Where you could stay in one place and just fight enemies forever in World at War. They would just never stop coming. This didn't have the same thing, but I did see people playing it where they would just run. Like straight up run. It would just constantly trigger check marks or it's checkpoints just, it's over and over. Run. But it's, it's, isn't it, it Lincoln Park might say it's easier to run. Indeed. Oh my, my goodness. But I wonder... If that is also bad design, like what do you do? What is going on in this game? The more I think about the new Colossus, the more I don't like it as much as I thought I did. But I, I think a lot of that has to do with balance, you know. Yeah, the for DLC sure. man for the last one though was excellent, so I'm really excited about this one. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Chris, Destroy All Humans is making a comeback in the form of Destroy All Humans Remake, which is set for PS4 in 2020. The original Destroy All Humans came to PS2 and Xbox in the summer of 2005 and was developed by Pandemic Studios, which EA bought and then shut down following the release of The Saboteur in 2009. The remake is being made by Black Forest Games, the German team most notably behind the Gianna Sisters games. Those are platformers, so this will be an interesting little yeah. jump for them. It's unclear what THQ Nordic's plans are for the sequel, which came out in 2006. THQ Nordic owns the IP as well as smaller spinoffs, so future games are likewise possible. Jason Pettit wrote in and said, "What up, C squared? This one's for Chris. Since it has become apparent with the announcements of Destroy or the announcement of Destroy All Humans that you can wish games into existence, would you be so kind as to wish for a new Final Fantasy Tactics? We would all thank you for it. Have a great day, y'all, and thank you for making my week bearable. <laughs> we already have one, right? With the one that you're playing. I wonder if your proximity to me is spawning all these games as well. For maybe me as well. you do have very mysterious powers." When it comes to willing games into existence, whether it's Crash Team Racing, which had no business existing, <laughs> and now Destroy All Humans, which really is a strange one to bring back as well. But hey, I'm, I'm all about it. I'm Listen, excited. Man, you're excited. I love Destroy. That's like the Mars attacks of video games, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Well, I'm excited. You're excited, Chris. THQ Nordic's other big E3 game is Darksiders Genesis, which they teased along with Destroy All Humans over the past few weeks. You'll recall that the leak indicated that one of THQ Nordic's E3 teases slash leaks was for an established franchise taking things in a new direction, and this is it. The game is a top-down action RPG, a la many PS or PC games of the past and present, and is coming to PS4 and elsewhere at some undetermined point in the future. That's a weird one. Really odd. It looks like a Diablo kind of thing. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know what Darksiders is, really. 
Like, I've played some of them, but I don't remember them. Yeah, Darksiders is always... Well, the first Darksiders was always described as a 3D Zelda game, which I always thought was really... Or at least that's the way people described it to me. I don't know if that's really accurate. Some people used to describe it as a 3D Metroidvania. But uh, I guess Darksiders isn't doing well. Or I guess you can interpret this multiple ways. Either Darksiders is doing well enough where it demands spinoffs of yeah. various kinds, which is possible. But my assumption is that it might not be hitting as much as it could be. And so they're trying to capture this loot grind phenomena. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Knows? We'll see what the, what's all about that. Last week, we talked about Destiny 2's newest DLC leaking, and today, thanks to a Bungie livestream, we can confirm that it's true. The DLC is indeed called Shadowkeep, and, we, and will come out on September 17th, later this year, at a cost of $34.99. Bungie describes the DLC as such, quote, As the heroes of the last safe, safe city turn their attention to frontiers beyond the protection of the Vanguard, new nightmares have emerged from the shadows of our long-forgotten moon. Called forth by the haunting visions from her tormented past, Eris Morn has returned and unleashed something that once slumbered beneath the lunar surface, a long dormant power she even she cannot control, end quote. Bungie promises lots of new quests and missions, new destinations and dungeons, new gear and more, and deluxe editions both digitally and physically can give you even more, including exclusive gear. Along with the official announcement, however, came word of ubiquitous cross-save support between all versions of Destiny 2 and its DLC, which is indeed happening but has been rumored to have been settled at the very last second because Sony held out. So, according to rumors, Sony literally signed this contract the day before the DLC was really revealed. Yeah. And what Bungie was apparently going to have to say was that it is cross-save between everyone but PlayStation, and we hope to have a, 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 a solution to that at some point in the future. Yeah. So, apparently, this happened at the last second. <laughs> This looks awesome, by the way. Yeah, what do I'm you really, think? I'm really happy about it because that was my main... We were just talking about this recently. Like, not even, like, maybe two episodes ago. But my main issue was I have so many different characters on so many different platforms that I can't play it again because I don't know which one's my main one at this right, point. Right, right. So, like, I'm happy. I'm happy about this. I'm definitely far more interested in getting back into it. They're also... I don't know if you've included this, but, like, there's also... Apparently, the year one of Destiny 2 is going to be free to play, which is kind of wild. Oh, yeah. I saw that as well. I yeah. didn't include that here. It's, it's kind of neat. It's yeah, a it's a nice way to get people involved. Yeah, smart idea. I'm looking forward to it. Jacob Klusterhouse wrote into us, Chris. He said, hey, Colin and Chris, congratulations on 50 episodes of Sacred Symbols. Can't wait for the next 50. Well, Chris, you did it again. You willed another thing into existence. <laughs> Cross-play for Destiny 2 between PlayStation, Xbox, and PC. So I have a request. Could you please will into existence a remastered collection of the Resistance games with online support? Thank you. Can't wait for it to be announced in a few months. Thanks for making Tuesdays great again. Chris, I'll, give you, I'll, give you I'll give you a Resistance collection without online support that's what you're probably going to end up getting anyway yeah for sure but it's it's important to note that it's not cross play cross saves so it's every platform is still i believe still it's in its own ecosystem but your characters can transfer between them thank you for that clarification yes so i was technically wrong although i did say cross saves would be just just good enough no one has to know about you being wrong well you just told everyone so i guess so one of the most surprising announcements at Xbox's E3 press conference was the reveal of a new studio acquisition, Double Fine Productions, the San Francisco-based team founded by ex-LucasArts employees in 2000, the guys behind Psychonauts, Brutal Legend, Costume Quest, and a ton of other games. This means that the team will no longer be making PlayStation games, though PlayStation games already in development, including Rad and Psychonauts 2, will still come to PS4 as planned. Following that, however, the team is officially joining the Xbox family, and interestingly, it appears that Psychonauts 2 will be actively published on PlayStation 4 by Microsoft. So I actually read and looked into this. I don't know that this is 100% true, I guess, 
It must be, though. <laughs> We're going to find out in the coming days as people ask their questions and have their interviews at E3. But it appears... So Rad is a, is a game that's already in development by Double Fine. That's being published by Bandai Namco. That's coming to PS4. Psychonauts was internally funded in 2016, I think $3.5 million worth of crowdfunding. But it was going to be self-published. So I think Microsoft's coming in, and, and I think we're going to see their logo on a PlayStation 4 game. It's going to be wild. So we kind of see that with Minecraft right now, but this is a little more literal than that. Because yeah. Minecraft's more of a platform than anything else. So I thought that was interesting. It's neat. Back in the fall of 2003, a SpongeBob platformer quietly came to PS2, Xbox, and GameCube. It was called Battle for Bikini Bottom, and it has its fair share of fans, apparently. So much so that publisher THQ Nordic revealed SpongeBob SquarePants Battle for B Bikini Bottom Rehydrated, a remake of the game that will come to PS4 and elsewhere in 2020. An Austrian team called Purple Lamp Studios is behind the remake, though they have virtually no track record, so it's hard to know what to expect. I, they don't have any games. Yeah. Bart Jacaza wrote in and said, Hey, CNC, hope you two are doing well. With THQ Nordic announcing remakes for SpongeBob Battle for Bikini Bottom and Destroy All Humans, which I'm personally very excited about, Hell yeah. what other PS2 cult classics do you want to see get remake treatments? For me, I would love to see War of the Monsters oh. and Mark of Cree remade in today's age. Oh. One thing I love about these remakes happening is that it seems like a low-risk investment to breathe new life into the franchise. would love to hear you guys, what you guys think. Oh, for sure. That's the reason. War of the Monsters is actually a Sony game. That's actually a Sony-owned IP. Such a good game, by the way. If they just tightened up those controls, that'd be a great, great game. That's a good choice. Mark of Cree is actually a decent choice as well. Yeah. I don't know that Mark of Cree is really a niche... What does he say here? What are the cult classics? Yeah, I guess you can call them cult classics. There's a lot. I would love to see Dark Cloud remade, but mm -hmm. I, I really doubt that's going to happen. That would probably be the one. And Animusha I always wanted. We're Maybe. not going to get that. We are getting. We did get the Animusha re-release game. Maybe I'll put a good word into the specters that uh, follow me and will things into being. Please do. Sony has revealed the most downloaded games on PlayStation Network for the month of May 2019. The top 10 most downloaded games on PlayStation 4 were in order. Minecraft, Grand Theft Auto V, Mortal Kombat 11, Days Gone, World War Z, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, NBA 2K19, Ghost Recon Wildlands, Rainbow Six Siege, and Red Dead Redemption 2. The top 10 most downloaded PSVR games were in order. Five Nights at Freddy's VR Help Wanted, Blood and Truth, Superhot VR, Beat Saber, Job Simulator, Everybody's Golf VR, Drunken Bar Fight, Gun Club VR, Surgeon Simulator, and Box VR. The most popular free-to-play games were Dauntless, Fortnite, and Apex Legends. So there's that. By the way, interesting, Minecraft, top-selling PS4 game of the month. And uh, as we revealed last month, I think, when we read these, or maybe two months ago, no more Vita top lists. So that's the end of that. We're never going to know what the Vita game yeah, are. Yeah, it's a shame. God help us all, for the Uncharted movie is no <laughs> longer a rumor. According to The Hollywood Reporter, an Uncharted movie has a release date of December 18th, 2020. Sony revealed the release date while confirming previous rumors about the movie, as noted by The Hollywood Reporter, including that actor Tom Holland will be playing Nathan Drake, that Dan Trachtenberg is directing the movie, and that the film is being written by Jonathan Rosenberg and Mark Walker. Tom Holland is, well, is a well-known actor, best known for playing Spider-Man in the connected Marvel Cinematic Universe. Dan Trachtenberg, once known for podcasting and since known for directing 10 Cloverfield Lane, is also known for directing the worst Dark Mirror episode, Playtest. What was Playtest? That was the VR one. That's the worst one? Yeah, I hate it. It's not the worst one at all. Definitely is. That's, it's 100% not. Definitely is. The pig one is worse. The... Oh, really? The first one? The first one's terrible. You're out of your fucking mind. <laughs> it's the worst That is one of the most anxiety-inducing episodes of TV I've ever seen in my life. Nah, man. You're out I of was your... fucking laughing the whole fucking time. I will say, though, that the new season, which is three episodes of Black Mirror... I heard it was bad. Not good. Nah, not good. There was one that was video game-related, actually, that was kind of good about basically... Oh, yeah, I saw... About snippet. basically these two guys that play a game, a fight, an immersive fighting game with each other. 
that's a, actually a pretty good episode. The other two, actually, they were so forgettable that Aaron and I couldn't even remember what one of them were, and we watched it like two days ago. We sat there for like a half an hour before we remembered what it was. So I should tell you how good those were. Sadly, some of PlayStation 3's most popular first-party multiplayer games are going dark beginning in September. Sony-owned developer Naughty Dog has revealed that multiplayer servers for the PS3 iterations of Uncharted 2 Among Thieves, Uncharted 3 Drake's Deception, and The Last of Us are being shut down as of September 3rd. The good news is that all multiplayer DLC for all three games are totally free to download between now and when the servers go away in early September, and it's important to keep in mind that the PlayStation 4 iteration of The Last of Us in particular will continue to be supported well into the future. So if you want to play The Last of Us online, just play the PS4 version. This is an interesting one. This uh, came... Okay. I told you about this, actually. I, I don't yeah, know... Yeah, yeah. This is just an interesting piece of history, I guess. While FIFA 20 has a release date for PlayStation 4, September 27th, this will mark the first time since 2006... It's actually 2005, since FIFA will, that FIFA will not appear on PlayStation 3. That means that EA's FIFA has appeared on PS3 for 13 years. But Push Square reports that the so-called legacy edition of the game previously designed for PS3 and Xbox 360 will no longer be published. FIFA 20 will only be on PS4, Xbox One, PC, and Switch. It's interesting. I had no idea that they were even making new PS3 games. This reminds me of MLB The Show, a Sony-owned and Sony-published franchise that until 2015, I think, came to PS2. And I think the last version of the game sold 200,000 copies on PS2. And that was uh, well after PS4 came out. So you never know. You never know. An unusual announcement was made during Bethesda's E3 press conference. The publisher is working on new streaming technology called Orion. Technology it felt was important enough to talk about during its show instead of merely showing partners behind closed doors. Orion is technology that can be attached to any game engine and apparently improves two key components that, key, that hold streaming back. Latency and bandwidth. Orion can apparently reduce a game's latency by as much as 20% and the total bandwidth used by as much as 40%, making it, if it works, an interesting piece of technology that will likely find its way into future Bethesda and non-Bethesda games alike. What did you think of this being shown at the conference? I thought it was strange. It's cool um, technology, but... I, 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 I'm a tech nerd. I like hearing about that shit, so I didn't mind seeing it, but I did, I did think it was weird that they showed it without getting really all that in-depth with it or really demonstrate. I mean, they did demo Doom 2016 playing on what looked like, I believe, an NVIDIA Shield or like some tablet connected to a controller. You, you don't really get a sense for what a demo like that is unless you're playing it. Like, the whole thing is latency. And you're not gonna be able to tell that from somebody watching somebody play something. Yeah, that was the weird thing to me was when that girl came on stage, she's like, well, let's see if it works. I'm like, you could literally be showing me anything, dude. Like, I have no idea if this is working. So that's a great point. But my bigger thing was like, why are you showing us this? Instead, what you should have done, clearly they're trying to like get publishers interested in it and just i'm sure a lot of publishing partners already know about it but trying to get the word out especially to maybe smaller devs that could use the yeah. technology but to me it seemed like a thing that you show next year when you have games signed or something and like it's in integrated into different games yeah no i, I agree i just it, it seemed to me to be something that you would see at like playstation De or destination playstation or something something that's actually directed at, pu at partners and retailers and stuff like that as opposed to like the consumer I don't think the consumer like saying like latency is removed 20%. I'm like, that's cool, I guess. But first of all, that's not going to be enough to remove latency. Latency is impossible to remove because everything travels at the speed of light. So yeah. Anyway, Chris is in pain. So let's wrap this up. If you, uh -huh. didn't, if you didn't listen to the Xbox conference or the Xbox podcast that we did, Chris was in the ER yesterday for some tummy problems. Chris, this is a wrap up though. And remember, by the way, guys. If there's news that we'll have updates between now and when we record the Square Enix and Ubisoft versions or portions of this podcast, we're going to add more news. So this isn't the end of the news. This isn't the end. Yeah. Okay? It's only the beginning.
Days Gone's first batch of free DLC is now available to anyone that owns the game. Survival Difficulty Mode adds, you guessed it, Survival Difficulty, as well as some new trophies. The PlayStation blog has revealed that RTS They Are Billions comes out this July. It's another zombie game. Dying Light 2 has been confirmed for an early 2020 release on PS4 and elsewhere, though we'll likely hear more about it during the Square Enix presser. Website Push Square reports that Ukulele 2.5D, or a Ukulele 2.5D platformer is in the works, called Ukulele and the Impossible Layer. That a new CI game, Sniper game, is coming for PS4 called Sniper Ghost Warriors Contract. And that action RPG Greedfall will be coming to PS4 in September. And finally, Bethesda revealed during its E3 press conference that Elder Scrolls Online's new DLC is called Scalebreaker. Scalebreaker. Apparently that's a game that a lot of people play. It is. It's very popular. Yeah, neat. Okay, we're back. Now, (laughs) you didn't really notice anything, but this is the next day for us now. Everything you just heard, we recorded yesterday. We've time-traveled. And now we're here today. I guess it really doesn't matter, though, because you're not listening. It doesn't really matter. Should I have even said anything? Maybe not. Maybe we should have just seamlessly transitioned. Ah, that's too bad. Damn. We it's fucked the, it up. Uh, the unfortunate thing with things like podcasts is there's nothing you can do when you make a mistake. You have to just keep going forward. Now, Chris, we watched independently, actually, the Ubisoft press conference. Yes. So now we're going to add on to all of the news we've already done, the Ubisoft-centric stuff that has happened and occurred. Lola's in the room. That was probably a mistake. Would you want to get out? All right, we're getting you out. Dustin, you can keep all this. Lola. How's it, how's it going, guys? It's me. It's me, Chris Reagan. I'm being held here against my will. Colin. <laughs> she was basking in the sun. Yeah. I mean, she should be. That's what dogs do. That's what animals do. Now I can close the blinds completely and make it very Victorian in here. Gross. a little candle. Why is that gross? What's gross about Victorian England and, and the Victorian era? Wasn't it like very sickly? No. Didn't they have like a plague or something? No, no. That's way at the Victorian era is way after the plague. Ah, don't I don't know, know about that. Hi- you don't know your history very well. Nah, I don't know. There's a lot of plagues. There's a lot of plagues and there's a lot of history as well. What the hell are we talking about? How many minutes have we been recording already? We should go into the news. Yeah, let's get into the news. Now, the Ubisoft press conference, we'll discuss it, I guess, our, we'll talk about what we thought about it, you know, overall at the end, I yeah. think, before we cut again. And then I ruin that again. And then we do another segment later. It's a good call. Before I get into all of that, though, Chris, I did discuss or we did discuss the Xbox centric third party news from the conference yesterday. There is a little bit of an addendum. I said that Minecraft Dungeons, I didn't I wasn't aware what they were going to do with that with PlayStation 4. That's obviously the cool looking action RPG Minecraft spinoff. There is confirmation that it will be coming to PlayStation 4. Okay. Another Microsoft published game coming to PS4, it looks like. But let's get into the news. I've ordered this in, in the order what I, of importance from my point of view. You guys might disagree. Number one, Watch Dogs Legion, the third Watch Dogs game that was leaked and subsequently confirmed in recent weeks, was shown off for the first time during Ubisoft's E3 press conference. The game takes place in a dystopian and futuristic version of London, which has basically turned into an oppressive police state. What's interesting is that the game doesn't have a protagonist, per se. Instead, Ubisoft claims that players can play as literally anyone in the world. Each character in turn apparently has his or her own voice acting, backstories, quests, techniques, strengths, weaknesses, and more. The game was likewise given a release date. It'll come to PlayStation 4 and elsewhere on March 6th of 2020. They showed quite a bit of gameplay. They talked about this game extensively. What do you think, Chris? I actually think it looks pretty cool. I like the idea. I like permadeath in general, just because I feel like there's this inherent kind of... uh, I feel like you get attached to things that that you know are finite. And video games with, like, constant respawns and, like, there is, like, there is something there psychologically that I just kind of, like, gravitate to. I think it's also smart because the narrative part of Watch Dogs has always been kind of, eh, it's there, I guess. 
but it's never been like you know it's not god of war or anything yeah it's interesting because that they've tried to make something sophisticated with the story in these games it seems like this technology this, this near future dystopian technology you know black mirror-esque yeah kind of situation they find themselves in i heard good things about the story and the gameplay kind of the passive gameplay of the second game yeah what was surprising to me about Watch Dogs legion which is the third game i guess we'll kind of colloquially call it Watch Dogs three is how violent it seemed i thought that yeah. the idea and again i'm saying this from complete ignorance because i didn't play the second one and i only played the first one for maybe less than 10 hours but I thought the entire idea was that you were supposed to be, or at least you were encouraged to not be violent in the game. And I thought that, that there weren't I... even that many guns and stuff like that. I thought that it was like you're supposed to hack people and be passive. I don't think so. I think oh. the, I think the first one was pretty violent. It's, yeah, a, the... it's GTA with hacking, basically. Right. But I thought more the second one in San Francisco, I thought that that was all about like nonviolence or passivity. No, I think I, was, I think I, I think so. I think I think there was just more of an emphasis put on stealth. Like oh, okay. you could play the game a little bit more stealthy. Yeah. In the absence of Splinter Cell, uh, they got to do that, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I really like this idea. I like permadeath, so I'm, I'm actually pretty down on it. I think it's down a cool it. idea. I don't believe it. Oh, yeah. There's no way that th- that's a lofty goal to have like every single character with its own unique backstory with yeah. like I don't hundreds of there's no way. I just don't understand how they're going to do it. That's that's the big thing. And that's what I hope that people when they finally get their Q&A's with UB and stuff. It's worth noting, by the way, that it, and we've said it many times, and it's almost a joke on the show, Ubisoft has no communication with us. They don't want to work with us. Uh, nonetheless, we want to treat them as fairly as possible, and we'd love to ask them these questions ourselves, but we won't have the opportunity to do that. But my first question, if I was in a room with them, would be like, well, what are the limitations? Because this is clearly not true. So are you talking about there being like 24 types or something like that? Probably. And, or what? Can I, because they're talking about like you can get the MI5 guy, you can get the granny assassin. I love that, by the way. Yeah, that was super cool. (laughs) And she walks around all frail and like even her combat's like, I love that. Yeah, I liked her jumping over the rail too. She like basically tumbled over the rail. I'm going to do a full granny playthrough of Watch Dogs. I was thinking, it reminded me of Final Fantasy Tactics where people do, or like Final Fantasy 1 where people do like all white mage runs or something like that. Be funny in Watch Dogs 3 to do, yeah, like an all granny run or all MI5 run or whatever. But I want to know what the limitations are because they over and over again made a point to say like you can play as anyone. Everyone's different, and like and I'm like I don't. I think you're setting yourself up to disappoint some people. So I think that they got to rein that in a little bit and start explaining sure. that. The good news is that they have like nine months to do it because if the game comes out in March of 2020, which is what their goal is, which now everything's coming out in March of 2020. So that's like the it's new- another it's another uh, it's another crowded March. Yeah, it's another terrible time to release a game. Although no one knew what the other hand was doing, I guess so. It's a game that I, uh, you know, I'll tell you this. Watching that made me want to go back and really spend time with the other two games. And I think maybe this summer when things quiet down, once I'm through, I got to get through Metro Exodus and I got to play Sekiro. Those are two games that are like hanging over my head. Yeah. And this, with the exception of Shovel Knight DLC and a few other things, nothing's really coming out that's that interesting for the next few months until like Borderlands. So I'm, I think, I think Chris, I'm going to spend time with Watch Dogs and, and Watch Dogs 2 and see what it's all about. Yeah. In I preparation. That's got to be a good idea. They're not yeah. bad. They're not, they're actually not bad games at all. I heard great things about the second one. Just never got Even them. the first one's just kind of fine, you know? Nothing really terrible about it. Right. I loved that trailer when he would, like, lift the the metal, like, the, the cylindrical metal things out of the ground that would, you know, stop oh, people yeah, from parking yeah. their cars and stuff. There was, like, it was cool. There was a lot of uh, energy in that first trailer. For sure. Number two, to cap off its annual presentation, Ubisoft revealed an all-new game with a surprisingly near-release date. It's called Gods and Monsters, and it looks like a beautiful open-world action RPG, though that remains to be seen exactly what it is, but that's the vibe I got from it. 
The minute-long trailer didn't reveal much about the game other than that you'll be fighting some beasts and baddies from mythology. I think I saw Medusa in there and a few others. It comes to PlayStation 4 and elsewhere on February 25th, 2020. So this comes out literally like two weeks before Watch Dogs. They won't conflict with each other, I assume. That game looked fucking cool as hell. Uh, I mean, the, the yes, the CG trailer that they showed yeah. looked looked pretty cool. The art I, style. The, st- the style of it looks really cool. That's I think it's fascinating that it's the Assassin's Creed Odyssey team. Because that's like an Assassin's Creed team doing something else. Right. Which I think is kind of really cool. Definitely. Uh, I'm definitely in favor of it, you know. I've not seen the game yet. None of us have. Right. So we can only assume. But I'm I'm not down on it at all. No, I'm looking forward to it. I really want to see more about it. I think that out of all of the games that were shown, with the exception of the Division 2 DLC, which we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah. That was probably like the thing I, I'm looking forward to most. Mm-hmm. Number three. A new Rainbow Six game was announced during Ubisoft's E3 press conference, though specific details are admittedly scant. The game is called Rainbow Six Quarantine, and it's aiming for launch sometime in early 2020. So again... Another early 2020 game. It looks like Ubisoft's trying to get all these games out before their f- fiscal year ends, perhaps. That's pretty much all we know, apart from it being three-player co-op. Kotaku reports that Quarantine is actually a rebuild of an abandoned Ubisoft project called Pioneer. Though it remains to be seen if that's true. That's interesting. Yeah. So apparently they were working on a project called Pioneer some years ago. That was this weird sci-fi, disease-ridden, whatever game. And so they've made it, apparently, into a Rainbow Six game, according to the rumors. Hmm. So we'll see. All right. We don't know literally anything else about it. <laughs> There's nothing else to be said about yeah. it. Number four, a really interesting new and completely free feature has come to Assassin's Creed Odyssey. It's called Story Creator Mode, and in its current beta form, it allows you to use a website connected to the game where you can literally make your own quest right on down to the dialogue, its placement on the map, the NPCs that partake in more. You can even create branching storylines with different outcomes. Your creations can then be shared with others. It's unclear when this functionality will leave beta and what future functionality might be included. This comes in addition to Discovery Tour Mode, which made its debut in Assassin's Creed Origins, and is basically an easy, fluid, and explorative way to experience the game without having to worry about combat quests and the like. This is super cool. I don't know if you saw this in the pre, pre-conference atmosphere when they were doing their thing. No. Nah. This is wild stuff. It's almost like using a version of Game Maker to yeah. create dialogue trees and choices. They showed how it all works, and you can then just implant it in the game. Now, making your own quests is not new. By any stretch of the imagination. No. Infamous 2 even let you make your own quests and stuff. But this seems like a really deep and dynamic way to allow people to... You can like place it on the map and people can go find yeah, it. Yeah, any, kind of, um, any kind of customization like that is a, is a win, I think, for the consumer in general. Because that, that's, that's a lot of you know playtime that's added to that game inherently by the fact Definitely. that it's just made... It's basically just going to the community and being like, you make it. But there's already something there, so it's not as egregious. No, I absolutely agree, although it is interesting that there's if there's one major common complaint from my perspective about that game is that it's bloated. So it's interesting that they're now giving you the ability to infinitely bloat it. Is that, can, is that the, the complaint with it? I've heard that Assassin's Creed Odyssey is over 100 hours long if you don't, to get the platinum, if you don't cheat, like if you don't do whatever you need to do. To like, I've heard over and over and over again, actually, that it's way too big. Hmm. That that's a major complaint about it. Now, people can write in and tell me that I'm wrong, but that's definitely what I've read and heard, even in some letters I think we've gotten over the pa- in the past. So it's just interesting that they're bloating the game further, but it has its fans, and I'm sure that if you like the game, then you might want to play it indefinitely. I mean, what would really be the difference between doing that, I guess, and playing Rainbow Six Siege over and over again or something? It's not, yeah. It's really no different. It's not just, really. It's actually interesting that they managed to make an Assassin's Creed game with that much content in it, because yeah. I always assumed... Assassin's Creed has always been just like, the story's there, that's it. You know? They had that multiplayer thing, I guess, with Brotherhood. 
Yeah. But that was about it. Yeah. That was cool, by the way. I don't know if you ever dabbled in that. That was really cool. I was long done with Assassin's Creed by Brotherhood. Oh, that was like my favorite one. Yeah? Yeah. No, I I played, I think the last one I played, I think literally the last one I played was three. Hmm. That was in 2011. Might have been after Brotherhood then. Right? When did Brotherhood come out? It was before three. Before three? Oh, okay. It was 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 like when Assassin's Creed 2 had that trilogy. It was like Assassin's Creed 2, then Brotherhood, then Re- Revelations. Yeah, there was, yeah, they actually, in the interstitial years. Yeah. Right, because AC began in 2007, AC2 was in 2009, AC3 was in 2011. So you're right. Yeah. And then there was the Black Flag one in 2013. You got to go deep into the Dewey Decimal System in my mind sometimes to get to the, <laughs> to get to the information that I need. Number five. While we knew that The Division 2 was getting a full bevy of DLC and a so-called first-year pack, Ubisoft went ahead and outlined a bunch of what we can expect during a lengthy portion of their E3 conference. The first thing you should know is that if you're listening to this around the time this episode publishes, you can play The Division 2 for free. Specifically, the entire game is free from June 13th to 16th. So the weekend around this goes live. So you can be listening to this when this goes live and then go download the game if you haven't played it. Play it for free. Enjoy our podcast. Go out and buy a cheeseburger with the money saved. As for the three-pronged DLC approach, the first episode of DC Outskirts Expedition will take us to the National Zoo, while the second episode brings us to the Pentagon, the seat of American military power. Most interestingly, however, the third episode goes back to New York City, the setting of the original game. Episode 1 is out this July, Episode 2 in the fall, and Episode 3 in the beginning months of 2020. The Pentagon one sounds especially exciting in the second pack for me because that would the Pentagon is the world's most impenetrable fortress. If you even look at it, it's divide. It's it's meant to withstand all sorts of shit. Yeah, and so it would be cool to like it. Actually, in the lore of the division, which is interesting, as they talk about a little bit, but for people that didn't hear it or don't know, in the lore of the division, the Pentagon actually hasn't really fallen. Like, there's still a bunch of shit in there and secrets in there that haven't been exposed and stuff, which goes to show how impenetrable it still is. And so I think that that's gonna be a really interesting map. Yeah, or a uh, DLC pack, I guess I should say. Yeah, for sure. I love I love the idea of going back to New York. By the way. Oh yeah, that yeah, the third one. Yeah, go back to New York City, which is cool. They showed a shot of Coney Island. I wonder. Yeah. I wonder if that's. But you were going towards Manhattan. I wonder if you'll just jump back into the old map, or if they'll be because it, it would be cool to go to a piece of Queens or Long Island or whatever or Brooklyn, like uh, you know, like the like the original trailer that yeah. uh, showed. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, because then people were talking like, how impossibly big is this game? Number six, Ubisoft confirmed that its long-running Just Dance series will continue this year with Just Dance 2020. While not given a specific release date, it is coming to PlayStation 4 at some point this November. Just Dance is officially entering its second decade on the market with Just Dance 2020, which will also, interestingly, be coming to the original Wii. Not even the Wii U. Right. Which is... Which is... (laughs) I think that's hilarious. It's awesome. 13-year-old console is getting a new game release that needs to be certified and go through QA. Super interesting that like some poor schmucks at Ubisoft, like the word, like the QA, the QA people at the lowest end have to probably plug in Wii's and play this shit while everyone else gets to, you know, QA the newer versions of the game. But I made the point, Chris on, on Twitter that I've made many times on this show. It's interesting to see these late publishes. We've talked about the show being published on PS2 very late and still selling several hundred thousand copies. I'd love to see the breakdown of how many copies on Wii are sold. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. It's very prominent on the on the screen. Finally, I did a little bit of a wrap-up here, number seven. At Ubisoft's E3 press conference, the publisher revealed Uplay Plus, their long-rumored subscription service that will come out in September and cost $14.99 a month. However, it's only available on PC to start, and while the publisher went out of their way to note that it would come to Stadia in 2020, there was no word on if or when it would come to PlayStation 4. 
at the Devolver Digital Press Conference, which happened uh, last night, I believe, from when we're recording this. A cartoonish online fighting game called Fall Guys was revealed for PS4, and it's coming in 2020. And finally, Website Push Square reports that PSVR game The Curious Tale of the Stolen Pets comes later in 2019. That Budget Cuts, which is a weird-looking game, comes to PSVR later this year. That JRPG The Legend of Heroes Trails of Cold Steel 3 comes to PS4 in September. And that Undead Shooter Zombie Army 4 is coming to PlayStation 4 in 2020. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. So, Chris, now that we got all the news out, most of it Ubisoft related, some of it not, but we'll really focus on Ubisoft. What did you think of the press conference? And I guess in real time, we can kind of update these thoughts after we do Square Enix and wrap this episode. But what are your kind of thoughts on E3 so far? So about the conference and then how it kind of cum- accumulates to, to this point. Uh, I, don't, I, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised that I was at all intrigued by Watch Dogs. Like, that kind of shocked me. I didn't think they would actually pique my interest at all because... I just wasn't really all that big on and either of them. Even the second one, which everybody kind of like unanimously agrees is like way better, I actually kind of thought was a little bit less engaging than the first one, which is objectively just kind of like a, an okay game. I, th- I thought it was fine. I thought there was a bit... It's, it's weird to allocate time to Just Dance for me, but I guess some people are watching a live stream presumably for yeah. just dance yeah presumably i mean it, i ask that question every year why they do just dance and they keep doing it so clearly there's some sort of method to the madness i, I would yeah there's got there's got to be some reason uh i'm sad that i saw <laughs> all all i can say is that it looks fine it was fine it was a fine conference i guess you know i'm just really butthurt about <laughs> splinter cell being shown in quotations because they showed this cartoon ass looking sam fisher in some mobile game i think very offensive how could you do the first thing i thought of was that scene in the godfather where he's like they they massacred my boy yeah you know it's the (laughs) only thing that came to mind immediately the other interesting thing that we didn't bring up because it's really kind of has nothing to do with our podcast though is that uh rob McElhaney from oh yeah in philadelphia who that's one of my favorite shows of all time i absolutely adore that show I really, I thought that was weird and kind of a strange thing to throw out there, but there's basically a, what is called Mythic Quest or something like that? It's a show that's coming to Apple TV or whatever plus, and it's about the creative director of a fake game and how he's like a, a... egomaniac basically, and he plays him. I think it's, it actually sounds really neat and really funny, and the picture of him, like, and the way he was standing and stuff, it really does remind, like, I... I had no idea he was a gamer, and it seems yeah. like he uh, he gets it, and I love those guys. Those guys are just infinitely funny to me, and so yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more about that. No, for sure. I, I saw that Danny Pudi from uh, Community is in the cast, too, which is like pretty great. That looked pretty cool. It was also just weird to see a TV show on an E3 state, right. although I guess it's not the first time that that's happened. No, um, no. Powers was a good example. Powers. Yeah. Uh, even even at, like several years back, there was like that Halo show on Xbox's stage. Yeah, what happened to that? Did that come out? Did that? What was the? I th- my assumption is because this the next Halo game is a reboot spiritually. I think it, the show probably went through a similar thing. But they also announced a Division movie, which was bizarre on Netflix. On Netflix, weird. 
Yeah. I Weird. Mean, it's full circle, though, isn't it? It's like Tom Clancy became famous for these political thriller novels that were then turned into like classic films for, you know, a few of them, Hunt for Red October and stuff like yeah. that. And so it's funny now that it's coming full circle and then he got, he basically, well, he's dead. His stuff is written now by ghostwriters. Ubisoft owns Tom Clancy's literal name and catalog, which is fucking weird, but true. Yeah. And now they're doing this movie. So it's basically just a full loop in Tom Clancy's world. And I'm, I actually am excited about that. Uh, Tom, Tom Clancy fucking ruled, man. He was awesome. Red Storm Rising is like one of my favorite thrillers. I love that book. So, it, I don't know. It's just weird that you would announce a video game show yeah, or a movie. I guess. Just because they're, they're, I don't know. Weird. Because they never turn out well. No, right. Pretty much well, ever. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Especially that's true. for Ubisoft. Remember Assassin's Creed with Michael Fassbender? Yeah, who could forget that? Who could forget that film? And, and we're getting all this I news because we're getting the Uncharted. We just got the Uncharted news, which we talked about yesterday, even though it's in this episode. And so we have many movies and television shows to look forward to in addition to video games, I guess. Yay. But in terms of the E3 press conference itself at Ubisoft, I, I always feel like they have a pretty steady show. They always have something solid to show us. Yeah. But again, I just don't like the spectacle of these shows. I find that they're just unnecessary. And I'm getting a surprising amount of tweets and messages from people being like, wow, this E3 is really playing out what you've been saying, that it's over. Like, there's no... I don't feel like there's palpable excitement. I feel like people are being really hard on Xbox. I feel like people have weird expectations about Bethesda and all this kind of stuff. But... At the same time, I think this would be so much cooler if we got some pop from one of these publishers every couple of months where Ubisoft is like, we're just going to do this in February every year. And but this is like, we're not going to do anything this year because we have nothing to show, et cetera, and so on. And this this E3 feels very wedged, like, it's like a square peg in a circle hole or something like that. It, it doesn't mm -hmm. feel right. It's not it's not because Sony's not there. It just feels off other than that. And so I'm eager to see Square Enix's press conference, which we're going to talk about like really soon on this podcast. Yeah. And go from there. But cumulatively, how do you think it's stacked up? I mean, how would you order the press conferences so far in terms of quality? We only have so far Xbox, Bethesda and Ubi. So, I mean, there's other smaller ones, but we didn't watch. Yeah, them. I thought the I thought Microsoft did a pretty good job. Me uh, too. I can't I don't. The only weird part of that one was the, the Gears game on mobile. That was weird. Yeah, they put that was a bait and switch. From yeah, the, but that was the really year. the only thing that I could think of that was like objectively kind of like what? Bethesda was kind of like all over the place. <laughs> I feel like Doom Eternal was like the only thing that was really particularly great. And the dude in the crowds or dudes in the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> that were really uh, excited. And this one was just kind of, I feel like it was front and back loaded. I thought the first thing, what was the first thing they showed? It was like... Um, at UB or Bethesda? Yeah, at UB. UB. The first thing they showed was, well, they did the Assassin's Creed thing in the pre-show. Yeah. And then, geez, what did they show? I, I don't even have my notes. I don't know. I, ju I just remember feeling oh, Watch Dogs, like, I think. We'll yeah, yeah. Show. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I thought, like, th this particular one, the Ubisoft conference, was a bit front and back heavy, with the middle being, like, very what? It could have been a half an hour long. It very, yeah, they very easily could They have. just bring a lot of people out. I appreciate that they want to show their people, and I know people are looking for a more diverse crowd. They have lots of women, which is cool. I, I think that's neat. Yeah. Uh, but... At the same time, I just feel like we don't really care. I always love the sacrificial lambs that have to go out there and talk about mobile games and shit. I always love that. That's always my favorite part is, like, who drew the fucking short straw on this one? Like, the guys that had to go talk about, like, EA's Command & Conquer or something like last year. I was like, holy moly, that sucks. So we'll wait for Square Enix and we'll kind of throw it into the mix. We're going to watch it. I ordered food. Maybe we'll have a little bit of a smoke. Maybe. Maybe we'll have a little bit of a drink. Probably not. No drinks. I don't really drink that much anymore. That's fair. Maybe I'll have some water, though. All right, we'll be back.
All right, and we're back one more time. Again, I probably didn't need to say that. We probably could have <laughs> flown directly into this, but I refuse to do that now. Yeah. If Might as well just keep going. Why not just annoy myself? And possibly everyone else out there listening. I don't know. Chris, we roll on with the Square Enix press conference, which is the final press conference we're going to cover here. On our show, there is a Nintendo press conference. Really not relevant yeah. in this show at all. But you guys can go enjoy that as well. But there's been some interesting stuff. Square Enix went for about 90 minutes. They had a live show, which I didn't know that they were going to do. I thought they were going to have like a Nintendo Direct style thing this year like they did last year. Could have been way tighter, but actually, I think they might have had the strongest overall showing out of everyone, in my opinion. Maybe mm. these games speak to me. Maybe. They are very anime, very uh, Japanese. Oh, they're very Japanese. A lot of Japan. Oh, so much Japan. So much. But some prominent Western games in there as well. Mm -hmm. So we have some items to go through. Again, I've ordered these in what I feel like are order of importance. Remember, since you've been listening to this show so far, you know that we're kind of scattered because of the way that this news has been delivered to us over E3. But we're going to wrap it up with a little bit of Square Enix news. Chris, let's start with the biggest piece of news. And this might actually be the... Mm, this might really be the biggest piece of news out of E3 overall, including everything at the Xbox conference, with the exception of maybe what we already knew, which was that next gen starts next year. Yeah. Number one, Final Fantasy VII Remake was shown off extensively at Square Enix's press conference. For starters, the release date that was published the night before, March 3rd, 2020, is true and will be the date that the first part of Final Fantasy VII, the Midgar section, will be released. Square Enix referred to it as, quote, a game in its own right. And that the total content of the remake will span the equivalent of two Blu-ray discs. Gameplay itself is a seemingly brilliant fusion of hack and slash action, a la Devil May Cry, and ATB, or Active Time Battle, which is drawn from the original Final Fantasy VII as well as other Final Fantasy VII games. ATB was introduced in Final Fantasy IV and is a take on turn-based combat in which the clock runs while speed actively indicates who goes when. Final Fantasy VII Remake's spin on this is in the form of a fillable gauge that allows you to use magic from materia, items, and more. Nomura said, quote, we will not disappoint your expectations, end quote, during this presentation. So I said it on Twitter and I said it during the presentation. We've been watching it also with our uh, editor, Dustin, who's here for E3 and, and his colleague and our friend Ben. And I had said openly, I think this game looks absolutely stunning. And I'm a total believer now in what they're trying to do, whether or not we ever play it, whether or not that release date's accurate, no matter how much of the game we get, they definitely have... Or are crafting something that looks very appealing to me. Yeah, for sure. It definitely looks a lot uh, better than I anticipated it looking. For sure. Are you going to play it? I know you're not a huge role-playing game fan, but you do have experience with the original Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, I I mean, I'll probably play it, especially, what is it, March? March 3rd. March 3rd. 2020. As we know, March is a very uncrowded month. It's really incredible how many games are coming out in that little four-week period. It's ridiculous. If you include May as well... Or, I'm sorry, April as well and into May. Or it's really like an eight-week period from mid-March to mid-May where there's a lot of shit coming out, which is yeah. not that unusual, I guess. But I think it looks excellent. And Yeah, I'll definitely play it. I'm surprised. I mean, I, I always talk. I talk a, a brazen game about this for a long time, about Final Fantasy VII Remake. And it's worth noting that by the if this date is, re is hit of March 3rd, that means that they went five and a half years from the, when, the, it was, when it was revealed at PSX in 2014 to the launch of the game and... So it's worth noting that we've been waiting an extraordinary long period of time, and it's okay to make fun of it from that perspective. But I really didn't think they were going to get it done in a in a good way. I didn't think that they were going to deliver something appealing. And in fact, I like groaned when they started showing the gameplay because I'm like, oh my god, like it looks like Devil May Cry or something. What is this shit? 
it, it literally looked like he was just n- mashing the square button, but it's so much more than that. And I'm, you know, I, I think I might have been wrong on this one, to be honest. So right. well, we'll see. St- we still have time. We have time. It's also unclear how many episodes they're going to be. This level of quality, it seemed like it took them a long time to achieve. It's worth noting that CyberConnect 2 was the original developer on this, and they were removed. So it's unfair to kind of nail the entire timeline to this one thing that's probably been restarted. So I'm curious, like, are, do they intend on turning this around rapidly? Is Episode 2 something that's going to be a year away, six months away, two years away? Are you going to jump platforms? I mean, this is being awkward, uh, released rather at a really awkward time. Uh, if you think about when Final Fantasy VII Remake, Chris, was revealed, PS4 was a little more than a year old yeah. at the time, right? And now yeah. we're a year away or so from Final, or from PlayStation 5. So that just goes to show and illustrate how much time has passed. Yeah, but fortunately, we live in a very backwards compatible focused kind of time. I doubt, you know, if you get it now, you're going to be, play, you're going to be able to play Final Fantasy VII Remake on your PS5. 100%. Oh, yeah. It's going to oh, be obvious. Course. Oh, of course. Yeah. Can so, you imagine if you had to buy a new SKU? Oh, be, yeah. Ooh. It won't matter, but I wonder, like, if, if this is a years-long plan, then the game's not going to scale very well from a looks perspective, you would think. Although, I will say the other thing about it is that it looks beautiful. It the, does look really good. And I was saying, you know, I don't remember Eris. I never I never had a little crush on Eris. It was always Tifa that was kind of the hot one, right? Because she had, like, big boobs, and that was, like, what stood out in the polygonal era, right? She <laughs> yeah. looked very unproportional or disproportional. But... I feel like they're going for the Aeris sexy factor in this one a little bit more. We'll see if they can pull that off. Yeah. I mean, that's a key. A key factor. I don't know. I don't. They really, they, I was really impressed with the showing of this game. I really feel like they just, they, if you're an honest person, I don't know how they didn't silence your critiques or at least my own. Yeah. So it looks good. Yeah, I think so. Number two. As teased weeks ago, Square Enix finally showed off Crystal Dynamics' long in development Avengers game, which is develop which is in which it's developing. I'm sorry, in collaboration with Marvel Games and other Square Enix owned studio Eidos Montreal. Now it's somewhat unclear what the game actually is in totality, but it sounds a lot like a persistent game as a service. The game revolves around up to four players in co-op, and Square Enix and its teams intend on supporting it for years after release. Avengers takes place in San Francisco, at least initially. And there will be five characters available for you to choose from at launch. Captain America, Thor, the Hulk, Black Widow, and Iron Man. The five core characters are played by a variety of your usual suspect uh, suspect voice actors, including Nolan North and Troy Baker. And more heroes will be added post-launch entirely for free, alongside free regions to play in. Square Enix, is pro- Square Enix promises that there will be no loot boxes and no pay-to-win scenarios. And PlayStation 4 players will get early access to the game's beta, as well as quote-unquote unique benefits to be revealed at a different time. Crystal Dynamics Adventures launches May 15th, 2020. Now, Chris, I don't know if I just missed reading between the lines. Maybe I'm just a little dense in this regard. I didn't know that this is what it was going to be. This sounds like Anthem. What I thought it was going to be was something like, I don't know, a single player, like an Uncharted or something, like something a little more dynamic than that maybe, but like something, or maybe at most an open world action role-playing game. But this sounds like uh, The Division. This sounds like Rainbow Six Siege. This sounds like Payday. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, it's very odd. I didn't expect that. Now, I don't know if maybe I just missed that. But that's not what it sounded like to me. Even from people that I that knew something about the development. So I wonder, my am ass- I misinterpreting it? I don't know. My assumption was that it was going to be some, something like Marvel Ultimate Alliance. Mm. Or like something to that effect where you played as different characters. But it was really kind of, you're just kind of picking and choosing between different 
characters with different abilities, and maybe that is what it is. I don't really understand how they would even go about designing a game like this. It seemed like there were these very specific linear vignettes that were being played through. You know, there's a lot of, like, actions that the, that the characters do that seem very scripted, but it's a co-op game, so I don't... And also, Iron Man can fly. What's to stop him from, like, flying all the way away? How are they going to make that not feel awkward to put an invisible barrier in the... I don't know. It, it, it looks fine. It's Avengers, I guess. Yeah, I was a little underwhelmed by this. Now, I'm not a Marvel fan. I don't like comic books. I don't care about any of that. But I really did expect something to pop here because this game has been in development forever. I mean, this has been an, a long... Well, for, at first, we we've kid, or joked around about this on the podcast, but this is one of the things that has been a rumored for so long that I just lost track of when it was announced. Like, I just assumed it was still a rumor. That's how long it was uh, in development for. But... I don't know. I, I feel like this is a smart play on Square Enix's part as a publisher because they don't play in the persistent space at all. So, you know, they do with Final Fantasy fourteen, and that's its own kind of thing. But they don't play in this Ubisoft space and this Activision space and this Epic space. So this is kind of their foray in. And, and you have to assume that this game can't really fail unless it's bad. Like unless it's or even if it's something worse than bad. Avengers is so popular that you assume that this is literally impossible. This is an, this can't lose. And so even if it is what it is, and that turns me off, I assume people will be turned on by the prospect of playing with their friends. I guess I just thought it was going to be something more story-driven. But it's worth noting that from what we can tell, it's a it's a third-person perspective, and it looks really pretty, but I don't know. It's just a, yeah, it, it wasn't, well, I don't know if it was going to activate me to begin with. But Yeah, well, there is it is story-focused, according to them. They did a. They did emphasize story pretty heavily. Yeah, we'll sort see. Of Bioware. Yeah, we'll see. It's apparently what is it? Twenty twenty, early twenty twenty. I think. Yeah, early twenty twenty. Well, May fifteenth, twenty twenty. May fifteenth. So, this so was mid, actually, middle. Yeah. So this is what I was talking about about that buttress from mid May. Yeah. And backwards to mid March. It, it's kind of the end of that. I don't know. I, I don't know. I really. This is probably the game I'm most interested to hear what people have to say. Or like, what? What? What do you guys think about? Yeah, this? I really can't. I, mean, I. I have no understanding of what the reception would be. They should have gone first with it almost because I feel like Final Fantasy VII was way cooler. They they probably should have ended with Final Fantasy VII. Probably. Yeah, I would have, I would agree. Number three, Final Fantasy VIII is finally coming to PlayStation 4 as revealed during Square Enix's E3 conference. It's being released in a similar low-res form as was Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy IX. And although it hasn't been given a specific release date as of yet, it has been confirmed for a launch sometime in 2019. Final Fantasy VIII originally came to the original PlayStation in 1999 and has long been considered the odd one out when it comes to the PS1 trilogy of Final Fantasy games. This will mark its first official re-release since 2000 when it came to PC, so about 20 years will have passed between when Square, at the time, Squaresoft, released the PC iteration of the game to the presumably late 2019 release on PS4. And I'm looking forward to that. As I was, as I was saying during the conference when we were watching, I haven't played Final Fantasy VIII. Final Fantasy VIII came out when I was about to start 10th grade. I remember it very well because it was a September of 99, I think. And I played it that month or like in October, and then I just never played it again. So hmm. it, it'll be like pretty much new to me. I really don't remember anything about it. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. Number four. During Square Enix's E3 press conference, the publisher revealed its new collaboration with Polish studio People Can Fly, the team most prominently behind Bulletstorm and Gears of War Judgment. The new project is called Outriders, and it's suiting up for a vague summer 2020 release. It's apparently a cooperative-based asymmetric shooter, though few other details are currently known, and it fuses sci-fi, horror, and post-apocalyptic elements aesthetically. 
I didn't even get the asymmetric stuff until I started reading online about it. I don't think they did a great job of explaining what the game is. But no, definitely not. It, I still, I still don't. You, you've read that to me, and I still don't really know what it is. It sounds like Evolve. Yeah, uh, that's what we'll, it we'll like see. Too. I don't know. I don't know that that's what people can fly's strength is. They do have a, a pedigree for shooters, of course, but they're more in the single player realm, or at least in this more dynamic arcade realm. So I, I don't really get what this means or why they're making this particular game, but. I don't know. People well, can yeah, fly I can't see the they they showed no gameplay, so no, it's hard to really say anything about it. Yeah, I don't I don't really get it either. But it's that awkward summer 2020 release window where I feel like they probably felt like they needed to talk about it now because if they talked about it next year, it'd be too too late. Yeah, probably. Number five for nerdy JRPG fans, Square Enix is doing something pretty interesting. It's releasing both Romancing Saga three and Saga Scarlet Grace outside of Japan for the very first time. Romancing Saga 3 is a Super Famicom game from 1995, internally developed at, was, at what was then known as Squaresoft. Saga Scarlet Grace originally came to Japanese Vitas in 2016 and to PS4 just late last year, but again, this is the first time it's being released in the West. Interestingly, Romancing Saga 3's Western release will come by way of both PS4 and Vita, while Scarlet Grace will only come to PS4 in the West and not Vita, under the moniker Saga Scarlet Grace Ambitions. That's a little bit of a weird one because... Scarlet Grace is a native Vita game, but it's not coming to Vita in the West. And then Romancing Saga 3 is a Super Famicom game they're porting, and they are bringing it to Vita. I don't really understand that. That doesn't... What? What is that? That sounds like uh, a lot of paperwork got <laughs> mixed up. Why would they do that? Like, what, what are they reading about their numbers that indicates that it's a good idea to do one and not the other? By the way, Square Enix is a pretty prolific supporter of Vita, they do bring games to Vita. They brought a lot of weird shit to Vita. The Adventures of Mana game. They brought Dragon Quest Builders to Vita. They've, they've definitely supported it. So you think they would bring both of these out. But this is the only mention, as far as I can tell, of PlayStation Vita at all of E3 was this particular Super Famicom port. Really freaking weird. And finally, Chris, I did a Square Enix wrap-up. Onanaki, the third game from Square Enix-owned team Tokyo RPG Factory, the guys behind I Am Setsuna, which I absolutely love, and Lost Fear finally has a release date. It's coming out on August 22nd on PS4. Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles Remastered, the re-release of the 2004 GameCube game, which was revealed earlier in 2019, may have been moved out of its original 2019 timeframe, though it's unclear. It's now been given a vague winter release window. And finally, The Last Remnant Remastered, a remaster of the 2008 Xbox 360 JRPG, also revealed earlier this year, has been given a 2019 release window for PS4, though weirdly it's out right now on Switch. That was their it's available right now moment. Yeah. But not for the PS4. Weird. Now, Chris, before we wrap things up, I want to wrap things up by just re reading the new game releases. As we said earlier in the episode, we're not going to do reader mail this week because it's just kind of impossible. It's a long episode. It's a long episode, and it's also impossible for me to dynamically collect letters and all that kind of stuff in a moment that is that makes sense. Yeah. So we'll get. I promise we'll get you guys back involved as we do next week because fan interaction is so essential to our show. But I'm curious, before we kind of wrap things up about E3 as a whole, from the press conference perspective, what do you think or what did you think of Square Enix is showing? As I said earlier, I feel like pound for pound, this might have been, for Colin Moriarty anyway, the strongest press conference probably by a fairly substantial margin i would say hmm yeah i feel like it was uh i thought final fantasy 7 looked great but that was basically it honestly i feel like even ubisoft had more stuff that interested me but uh I, and, and there was so much just i don't know i feel like they could have really tightened this thing up there was a lot of 
and I get you want to have your, the people on stage who are obviously native Japanese-speaking people up, up on stage and getting their moment, right? But there's so much time spent. There's like two minutes basically spent saying the same sentence in English and in Japanese to this point where it's like, and I get it, but like... Uh, yeah, you gotta. I, you know? I yeah, you want to give Nomura and those kinds of guys. Yeah, Itasa, you want to give them their shine. And I don't really know what the solution to that really is. I, I think yeah. that's just kind of like a necessary evil, honestly. I guess I don't know that it really is. I think that you have to look at it as being like, hey guys, listen, you don't speak English or you don't speak English well. This is an English-speaking audience. When we do Tokyo Game Show or something like that, we obviously showcase you. It is nice to see them up there, though. That's the, that's the thing. It's like I'm I'm of two minds about it. It's like I don't, I don't know. I I thought it was uh, totally fine. You know. I think Xbox to me still had like the most varied show that had most of the stuff that was at least interesting to me, followed by Ubisoft. I haven't watched really anything. And then this one with Final Fantasy is probably like the last one. But none of them have been particularly bad, I don't think. No, no, I don't think so either. No Mr. Caffeines. No, oh my God. Mr. Caffeine, of course, is a reference to the pre-Aisha Tyler Ubisoft conferences, which were so long ago now when you think about it. Yeah. Because Aisha Tyler is now like a big star and she doesn't even do the conferences anymore. But to me, it's interesting that, well, I guess it's not, I, I guess this is natural that depending on who you are, you're going to kind of draw different things out of these different conferences. But between Final Fantasy VII Remake, Final Fantasy VIII, which I'm really looking forward to playing, Romancing Saga is pretty cool to bring back and all those kinds of things. Just a lot of kind of bombardment for me Dying Light 2 was mentioned and shown. I didn't talk about that, but... Yeah, they used the metric song, which made me, made me pretty happy. So they have that strong stuff from Techland, which is another Eastern European developer, so they're obviously existing in that ecosystem. But well, they didn't even really show anything from it, though. No, no, a little bit of... It looked like cinematic, or at least in-engine stuff, maybe somewhat, but it wasn't like pure gameplay. So what, what I was thinking, though, about Square Enix's presentation and what a good solution would have been, since they're so Japanese-centric or so Japan-centric, what I really liked is what Bethesda did. Now, Bethesda only owns one Japanese team as opposed to Square Enix, which exists almost, you know, well, not almost entirely, but about half their teams are Japanese. And only one, again, Bethesda team is Japanese, which is Tango Gameworks. And what they did is they brought out Mikami, the head of the team, and he can speak English, but he doesn't speak English very well. And so he only spoke for a moment. And then they brought out someone else from the team that does speak better English. And by the way, I was reading about this woman. I don't remember what her name is, but she she's like was an artist on a bunch of different games, including Bayonetta. Oh, really? She is Bayonetta. She looks like Bayonetta. I wonder if she was drawing herself. <laughs> Maybe. I don't even mean that as an insult. She lo- when I looked at her, I'm like, wow, she looks like Bayonetta. This and is the, was... the, uh, the Tokyo. Yeah, uh, Tokyo. Well, I, I can't remember. She was adorable. Yeah, she was very cute. Although, you know, I was... <laughs> I don't actually feel this way, but I was thinking about it from the social justice perspective about, like, predictable outrage. I was reading about her because she was actually trending on Twitter for a while. And people were saying like, oh, look how adorable and look how cute and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, see, I'm not offended by it, but I, would you be saying these kinds of things about like a, a man up there? It just seemed like a very, she's a cute Japanese girl, you know? Now nah, she had a, a cute energy. That was uh, objectively cute. I thought she was cute. Yeah, for sure. But I liked that solution of saying like, let's give Mikami's obviously a huge deal and we'll get him up here. Yeah. And we flew him all the way the fuck here for no reason. And here he is <laughs> yeah. for a minute and then go back. So I don't know. I liked that solution better because I agree with you. I think you have to cater to the audience that you're there. They're never going to go on stage and speak English in Japan. That's not... I've watched plenty of Tokyo Game Shows. I've been to Tokyo Game Show multiple times. You don't really see that. They speak Japanese. They have Japanese representatives. But at the same time, the audience there are probably going to be people who are really into Japanese. Very uh, JRPG-centric. Very Japanese-centric. So I would assume it's probably more of a treat for those people to even see those people speaking Japanese up there anyway. Yeah, for sure. So... 
Yeah, I, I'm definitely not the audience for Square Enix. Yeah, <laughs> for for sure, especially when they show Kingdom Hearts stuff after the game's out. Oh, the, Chris took a really great picture of me too. You can go look on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, my head in my hands watching. I just can't take. I can't take it. I just can't take Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> I just and even one of the guys was wearing the Kingdom Hearts shoes on the stage. One of the men, you yeah, know, Nomura or I don't know if it was Nomura. I, I don't know, man. So I was a little disturbed by that. But yeah. overall, I think that you know. This was a fairly strong E3 considering the per capita representation of the publishers that were there because we had no EA proper. We had no Sony, which is a huge deal for this podcast. So I think it was a decent, it's a holding pattern E3, but I also think it it represents the dying trajectory of E3. Next year, we'll see a nice little bump because of the new consoles, but then I think you're going to finally see the end of this thing in the uh, early to mid 2020s. Yeah, you're probably right. Enjoy it while you can, sons of bitches, because if... (laughs) Sony has a great pop with uh, PSX with PSX. I mean, there's you got to just embrace that, man. I'm telling you, that's going to be the litmus test about how they handle that, because PSX will be so cool if they make PSX into a PAX like thing, a celebration of PlayStation and PlayStation 5, tons of panels, informative panels, maybe even a Sacred Symbols panel, stuff like that. I think it'll be a lot of fun. So, yeah, we'll see how it all goes. But I think that they made the right move. Actually, a buddy of mine who's a lawyer tweeted out. I think it's from War Games, the old movie from the early 80s, but I'm not positive where he tweeted out like a picture where it says like, what an unusual game. The only the best option is not to play or something. And that was like basically Sony's approach. They made the right choice to not play. I think that they, I think there's nothing that happened. And this is how I kind of want to close before we get into the games. There's nothing that happened here where I think Sony where I think like Sean Layden or any of these guys are like up at night worrying about it. I think that they're sleeping very soundly after watching E3 press conferences. Yeah, probably. That's all you have to say about it? I mean, I don't know. It's just, I feel just drained by everything. You know? Yeah. It's such a draining time. It is. Because you're just like, hey, look at that. That looks cool. I'm just that looks dra- okay, too. I'm just drained by life generally. I will say this, though. Everything looks the same. For the uh, most part. Even the Japanese games look the same. The JRPGs all look the same. There's those, like all that's, these- uh, that's always been true, Colin. <laughs> You know, shut hate up, hate to Chris. break this to you. Shut up. <laughs> All right. Before- unless it's unless it's uh, what is it? A uh, Dragon Quest that's very specifically Akira Toriyama. That's true. All right, you're just a hater anyway. Yeah, Chris. As you know, though, before we go, we usually wrap up again with reader mail, but we've gone long, and I don't want Dustin to be up all night editing, so we're gonna wrap this up. But we like to acknowledge at least one time every game that comes to PlayStation Four, PlayStation Vita, PlayStation Three. Although FIFA will not be on PlayStation Three this year, meaning that there will be no PlayStation Three launches, I think, anymore going forward. And uh, PlayStation VR. Chris, there are only five games this week. Thank God. And one of them just came to Vita a few weeks ago, so it's basically a repeat. Do you want to go first, or do you want to go second? I will go first, as is tradition. Dragonstar Varnier comes to PS4. Zephy is a part of a group known to hunt witches, but is saved by witches who feed him dragon blood when he nearly dies on a hunt. Hmm. Reluctantly, he joins the witches to fight against his upbringing... And defeat the most powerful witch. Can they beat the odds or will his new allies fall to the dragon's curse? How many times can they say witches or witch? This feels like like a Wattpad fan fiction. Although, that's true. Although, I will also say you have a little bit of a struggle reading some of these things. I do, but this is like weirdly written. It is weirdly written. But I think you go into some of these things psyching yourself out based on the title of the game. Oh, for sure. You saw Varnier in there, Dragonstar Varnier. You're like, you know, it's something horrifying. 
and you don't want to deal with it. Come on, dude. Part of a group is known to hunt witches, but is saved by witches who feed him dragon blood when he nearly dies on a hunt. Yeah, it's not good. I mean, I'm not saying it's good. Horizon. <laughs> it, could, it could be a great game. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> people know by now that we're we really don't know. Horizon Shift 81 comes to PS4. Horizon Shift 81, and that's like the year 81, is an explosive wave-based single-screen shooter, or shmup, with a real retro feel to it. You can even play the game in Tate screen mode. I don't know what that means. The player controls a ship in the center of the screen as enemies approach from the top and bottom. Okay. Queen's Quest 3, The End of Dawn, comes to PS4. A promising alchemy student, Eliana, is sent on a mission to retrieve a powerful artifact. During this quest, she will meet many kinds of danger, solve a variety of riddles, explore a vast kingdom, and relive the tragic history of her childhood. Follow Eliana on her mission to save her hometown and the people she loves. See how good that was? Look at that reading. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't written weird. The house in Fata Morgana comes to PS4. This we literally mentioned this last time. Yeah, it came to Vita only. Oh, weird. So now it's on PS4. A gothic suspense tale set in a cursed mansion. The house of in Fata Morgana is a full-length visual novel spanning nearly a millennium that deals in tragedy, human nature, and insanity. I'm always confused, not when games are released separately on the platforms, but when they're released separately on the platforms literally weeks apart. That really doesn't make any sense to me. I wonder why that is. I don't know. Are you getting some people to double dip, I guess? I guess so, yeah. I, I guess it's like a double promotion, I suppose, theoretically. Yeah, and I guess you would want to release it on the platform that has the hardcore audience first before you went to PS4, but I would assume you just want to release it at the same time. Yeah, weird. I don't know. I like the I like this already. Verlet Swing comes to P or Verlet Swing, whatever. Mm. Uh, comes to PS4. Grab your hook shot and mm. enter a enter surreal fever dreams. It's <laughs> perfect. That's perfect. Where statues you. stare you down and you die on impact with any of your surroundings. That's Verlet Swing. Wow, you got pretty loud. <laughs> you got pretty enthusiastic right there. Holy I just mold. love that sentence. <laughs> That's was that too loud? Should I redo it? No, no, no. Just keep going. We have that's, a gate. <laughs> that's Verlet Swing, an abstract gauntlet that transform you. That's Verlet Swing, an abstract gauntlet that transforms into weirder and more challenging courses as you sail and soar through strange landscapes of koi fish, pizza slices, and other bizarre obstacles. Those do sound bizarre. Any game that touts you die on impact mm. with any of your surroundings. Mm. I love that. You do. You like surreal fever dreams as well. And that's also a good selling. Your point. whole life is a surreal fever dream, isn't it? It's Not just a hookshot game. Yeah, which, which which sounds great to me. Yeah, you do like hookshots. I do. Chris, those are all the games. There are only five of them this week. That makes sense. E three is gonna scare everyone away. Can you imagine? We're la like launching a game. No. During this time. No, it'd be horrible. Very bad idea to release a game this week. Yeah. But people wanted to do it anyway. I guess if no one else is, then it does make sense. So you guess you're kind of rolling the dice there. Yeah. But uh, Chris. That's our E3 bonanza. Quite a long one. And I uh, hope you all enjoyed it out there. Thank you so much for your love, your kind of support. Remember, you can get every episode of Sacred Symbols three days early ad-free by going to patreon.com slash Stand, which also allows you to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to our show, obtain exclusive podcasts, and much more. If you want to be a freeloader, that's okay. We love our freeloaders, too. Consider buying merch. tinyurl.com slash sacredshirts. Consider telling friends and family about the show. Consider doing lots of other things with your life. Yeah. Give to charity. Study hard in school. Literally anything that isn't illegal. Yeah. I or mean, morally bankrupt. Yeah. I'm more worried about your morality, your moral compass. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but try to really watch out for that moral compass. Read some books. 
You say compass? Com- yeah. Why does always, everyone always make fun of the way I say that word? Because it's a compass. It's compass. Compass. C O M P. Comp. Like compass. A computer. Like, oh my god. <laughs> you just exactly. It's not a computer. <laughs> Isn't it? No. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Chris, appreciate your time. Of course. Everyone out there, thank you so much for your love, kindness, and support. That's 50 episodes of Sacred Symbols. 50 more coming in the 50 weeks to come. Ha! That doesn't really make any sense. See you next time. Bye. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand, LLC, and is recorded right here in sunny Santa Monica, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. Any snail mail can be sent to the CLS P.O. Box, P.O. Box 1233, Santa Monica, California, 90406. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Carlos Algaret, C.J. Anderson, Morgan Ashley, Taylor Barkley, Sean Battershaw, Martin Beck, Eric Bishop, Mark Boggio, Eli Bosford, Michael Josiah Borison, Barrett Boswell, Daniel Boyer, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Jimmy Brown, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Andrew Burkhart, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Alex Cabrera, Brian Cacciatolo, Tom Cargill, Patrick Carper, William O'Carroll, Ryan Caulfield, Brian Chan, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Gio Corsi, Nick Cummings, Daniel Diamore, Colin Davenport, Mitchell Durkash, Zachary Douglas, Night Draft, David Ellis, Martha Emery, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Fodios Frangos, Michael Gallier, Chris Galvin, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem El Ghanem, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Wyatt Henry, Asa Haas, Azan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, John Jameson, Jimmy Jolicure, Joshua Jonathan, Greg Julius, Anton Kay, Jeremy Key, Andy Kinnanen, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Jackson Lassiqua, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith A. Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Josh M, Ryan T. Mandel, Peter Mark, Michael Martinez, Sean Mason, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Joe McPartland, Andrew Mendoza, Christopher Midling, Alex Moans, Betty Ann Moriarty, Ryan Murdoch, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, George A. Nunez, Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Daniel Parsons, Brendan Peavy, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Enrique Perez, Nicholas Perfect, James Perone, Jason Pettit, Jeff Pollard, Louis Powell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Andrew Ramos, Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Toby D. Riemenschneider, Austin Riley, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, John Scholes, Michael Shanholz, Brandon Sharkey, Toby Schutman, Joshua Smallwood, Daniel Streicharsk, John Tabanillo, Ahmad Tamar, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Tremblay, Jacob Turnboff, Phil Van Rall, Raymond Vargas, Michael Vecchio, Justin Wagaman, Oakley Waldron, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayne, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Homeworld Hub, Throw7, Infinite, Organic Produce, Mad Mock Media, Fabian, Mubarak, Richter86, Hugo's Desk, Andrew, Ian, Crisk, Donk2015, and Gavin. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. 
Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.